you can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free at 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line for you. 1-800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features on the site are for free, so enjoy those on us. That again, freetalklive.com. I think Gardner actually had this story earlier this week, and we just never got around to it, and it, it came across my desk today, and it's outrageous. Outrageous. Uh, one of the most outrageous outrages of all time, I Oh, think. come on. Uh, this is pretty bad, man. Brooklyn Paper at brooklynpaper.com reporting that six-year-old Park Slope, a six-year-old Park Slope girl is facing a $300 fine from the city of New York for doing what kids have been doing for decades, drawing a pretty picture with common sidewalk chalk. <laughs> Obviously, not all of Natalie She's 10th Street neighbors thought her blue chalk splotch was her best work. A neighbor called 311 to report the graffiti. So apparently 311, it, I, I had been told it was an information line, but I guess it works like you can get information and give information, too. Informant line. Uh, so they reported the graffiti, and the Department of Sanitation quickly sent a standard letter to Natalie's mom, Jen Pepperman. Can somebody stop these bureaucrats before they Kafka again, says the uh, Gersh Kuntzman, the author of the article. Please remove the graffiti from your property. Sanitation Department warning letter read, failure to comply may result in enforcement action against you. So um, I'm, I'm a little unclear. Is it her property or was she drawing on the sidewalk? Well, I don't know. Okay. I, it, it says your it's just property. A form letter. Perhaps she was drawing on the sidewalk and it's just a form letter. That's what I'm guessing. Since when is a kid's chalk drawing graffiti? Well, since the city council passed local law 111 in 2005. And you know, I mean, little Natalie, she's she's only six. She's only had time to read up through law number 50 by this point. Oh, wait. Kids don't read the law? Wait, adults don't read the law either? Who the hell does read this crap anyway? Well... Ignorance, Natalie, of the law is no excuse. Apparently not. Uh, the new law in, 19, in 2005 defined graffiti as, quote, any letter, word, name, number, symbol, slogan, message, drawing, picture, writing <laughs> that is drawn, painted, chiseled, scratched, or etched in, on a commercial building or residential building. Now, that's funny. She wasn't drawing on a building, so how could that be graffiti? In other words, Natalie, she is not an artistic little girl, but a graffiti scofflaw. No, the law goes on to say that the scribbles can only be called graffiti if they are, quote, not consented to by the owner of the commercial building or residential building. But how could the 311 caller be expected to know if Natalie had her mom's consent to use chalk on her own front stoop? Well, he could have just asked. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a way to go about it. Said, uh, said I, I guess, her mom. Uh, the whole thing is ridiculous. Admittedly, this drawing was not her best work. She usually sticks to cheerful scenes, not abstracts, frankly. <laughs> but to send a warning letter like that is outrageous. Now, you have to wonder, did they actually come by and take a look at it before they sent the form letter I out? doubt it very seriously. I think that they probably took the person who called 311's word at it and sent out a little letter. Pepperman ticked off any number of daily insults to common decency on her block, including but not limited to dog poop, garbage kept or garbage from ill-kept homes, and noise from car alarms. But sanitation didn't get a 311 call about those indignities. It got a call about a six-year-old's drawing. 
The report came in as graffiti, and as you know, the city's trying to crack down on graffiti on private properties, said agency spokes bureaucrat Kathy Dawkins. She says it's a standard warning letter. The property owner has 45 days to remove it or ask the city to remove it. We'll inspect after that, and if the graffiti is still there, the summons owner or the property owner has another 60 days before we'll write a summons. For sidewalk chalk that would dissolve at the first rain, Dawkins says the law is on her agency's side. She's not backing down from this. Uh, <laughs> she, she says the instrument used, whether it's paint or chalk, does not matter. But if Dawkins is right, then the city has just criminalized hopscotch or drawing arrows to point neighbors toward a stoop sale down the block, as long as a neighbor calls 311 to complain. In reality, you'd think the city would... I mean, you'd think they would have backed down on this one. Oh, it's it's a little girl's drawings? No problem. Oops. No, no, sorry. sorry. Yeah, sorry. But no, they're right every time. They're government. Of course they're right. They have to be right. They can't. Well, they can't let a little six-year-old get away with breaking the law, because if she can, then everybody can. Right, right. You make one exception, and then all of a sudden, everybody wants to be a six-year-old drawing on the sidewalk. <laughs> Ron Paul for president all over my sidewalk. Well, yeah, that's a good idea. Of course, Ron Paul can't solve New York City's problems from Washington, D.C. You uh, can make them look silly. In reality, chalkers have little reason to start using invisible ink. The city's preeminent sidewalk chalk illustrator, Ellis Gallagher, says he's outlined street furniture and other objects for years and has never been arrested. Said cops stop me all the time when they just see me drawing on the sidewalk, but once they see that it's chalk, they always let me go. That's because those cops have common sense. Apparently so. Gallagher believes that despite local law 111, drawing in chalk is not illegal, but a call to the NYPD revealed there's a lot of gray area. According to the NYPD spokes bureaucrat, according to the New York penal law, graffiti is the etching, <laughs> painting, covering, drawing, or otherwise placing of a mark upon public or private property with intent to damage such property. Now, when pressed to define intent, or for that matter, damage, the spokesman added, if it can be washed away, it's not graffiti, clearly, but still could be called criminal mischief. If I cover your car with mustard, that's not graffiti, but it is also not legal. Peppermint is holding firm that her daughter is a pretty artist and not a petty criminal. <laughs> and for his part, Natalie's father, George Shee, hoped his daughter wouldn't learn the wrong lesson from her graffiti crime wave. He said, I do love that kid, but I wish she would stop capping my tags. What's that mean, capping my tags? I think that a tag has something to do with graffiti. Right. And uh, perhaps capping, capping a tag means uh, you've written over the graffiti. Hmm. Well, anyway, there All you those go. years in prison makes me really good at uh, deciphering this kind of lingo. Only, <laughs> only in New York City. Could this, could this really have happened anywhere else? This is the city where there is a law against almost everything. Somebody, I remember reading a story about someone who was giving a citation for sitting on a milk crate out on his front stoop. I mean, there's just, I think it was a law against milk crates or, or uh, unauthorized use of a milk crate or something <laughs> like that. The guy's sitting there taking a rest, smoking a cigarette. You, you, read him a, you, you, know, you wrote him a fine. What? This is just madness. That That is absolutely madness. It's called revenue production. Well, apparently it is, and I, I guess they're going to clean up the chalk so they don't get themselves a uh, the $300 fine, because they do have uh, several days in order to clean up the uh, the chalk, but how sad, you know? Really, yeah. this is what it's come to in, in America. It's not everywhere in America, but, but this concept of, well, snitch out your neighbors if you don't see something you like. Yeah. You know, if, you, if they're doing something on their property that you find disagreeable, call the snitch line and tell. 
That's what we're seeing everywhere. That's not just New York City. That's growing on uh, leaps by leaps and bounds. This is also the culmination of the mentality that there ought to be a law. That's bad. There ought to be a law against that. I don't think anyone ever thought that there should be a law against sidewalk chalk, though. I imagine there are some real... Apparently, whoever called the 311 number did. Right. That's the whole point, though, you see, with graffiti, is you pass a law against something, and eventually the legal definition gets expanded to other things that shouldn't be on there. Sure. It's common. Look at the definition of a terrorist. What will that be in 10 years? Yeah, what is the definition of a terrorist, anyway? Last time I looked, it had something to do with an individual or group that uses violence to affect political or social change, which I think the government would fit into that description pretty effectively. They use violence all the time to get all kinds of things to change, political and social. Yeah, I dare not, I dare not say I agree with you. <laughs> That is the SACL-CAI toll-free line. Uh, So all kinds of crazy things, as always, coming out of New York City. Of course, earlier this week, I don't think we talked about it on this show. Julia and I touched on it on the the show that we filled in for over the weekend. But there was a guy walking around naked in Times Square recently. Amazing. And now he got arrested, too. And I don't think he should have. I know Mark won't even take his shirt off. Well, we're getting there, Wayne. Uh, I heard, I heard, a, I guess, an update today that the the shirt fund has topped over eight hundred dollars. Oh, oh man! So all he needs to, all they need to raise is another less than two hundred bucks, and we will indeed have Mark take his shirt off for good, for charity, for the Ron Paul campaign. The thousand dollars that he raises is all going to Ron Paul, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Well, whoever paid a thousand dollars for it is, uh, well, they're, they're not getting their money's worth. It's a group of people that did it, so they've distributed the uh, the amounts. I see. 800-259-9231. You can bring up whatever's on your mind, and this is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free at 800-259-9231. Sacral CAI toll-free line for you. That's 800-259-9231, and it's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Live streams are available. Broadband version of the show and a dial-up version, both for free at freetalklive.com. Now, we talk a lot about SACL CAI on this show. It's because they are our prime sponsor, and they are a collections company, and they do a fine job at that. Normally, we're asking you to hire them for collections. But tonight, we're going to ask you to, well, if you want a job, if you are looking for some work, and you're a good worker, obviously. Uh, yeah, they Sekel don't want slackers. Seiko wants to hire you. Now, it will require, as I understand it, some relocation. So if that's something you're willing to do. Yeah, you then... pretty much have to be able to go to work. Right, right. Physically. This is not one of those things you can work from home. Anyway, uh, Seiko CAI is hiring. And if you are interested in... And by the way, they are interested in hiring Free Talk Live listeners. So they're giving preferential treatment, as I understand it, to Free Talk Live listeners. So um, head over to SACL CAI's website. You can link to it from our site at freetalklive.com. It's the top banner on our page. That's freetalklive.com. Look at the top banner to go and visit SACL CAI. And I presume there's something there, contact link or something like that to get in touch yes, for the there job is. offer. Which, right. which state are they in, Ian? Ohio. Ohio. Defiance, Ohio. What a great sounding name <laughs> for a town. I'm sure that it doesn't live up to its name. 1-800-259-9231. All right, so we started out by talking about graffiti and just a, an absurd just an absurd law in New York City that's being used against a six-year-old girl who 
you know how kids are. They do the little chalk drawings out on the sidewalk. That's what she was doing. And now she's facing her and her parents, I guess, facing a $300 fine if they don't clean up the chalk. Now, it's their sidewalk, or at least the sidewalk that's out in front of their home. And it's a little kid, and it's chalk. So what's the big deal? Well, apparently there are all kinds of just micromanagement-style laws like this out there telling you how you need to live your life. And, uh, Wayne, you've got another example of one of these things, not from New York City, but from another city. Yes, Granton, Pennsylvania, from the the, uh, Times-Tribune.com. Not not to say there can't be oppressive, stupid laws in small towns, but it just seems like there's a, a real concentration of them in big cities. That's right. So what's this one? Well, a West Granton woman could face up to 90 days in jail and a fine of up to $300, for allegedly shouting profanities at an over- overflowing toilet while inside her home. Dawn Herb, whose potty mouth was caught, uh, caught the attention of an off-duty police officer, was charged with disorderly conduct recently, prompting her to fire off a letter to the editor and vow to fight the charge. It doesn't make any sense, she said. I was in my house. It's not like I was outside or drunk. Uh, she resides uh, at, in her home with her four young children. A cop can charge you with disorderly conduct for disrespecting them? The obscenities hit the fan when she battled her overflowing toilet around 8, 8 o'clock p.m. Thursday, she said. Although Ms. Herb doesn't recall exactly what she said, she admitted she was frustrated and let more than a few choice words fly. Unfortunately, it was near an open bathroom window. The toilet was overflowing and leaking down into the kitchen, and I was yelling for my daughter to get a mop, she said. A guy is, a guy is yelling. Sounds reasonable. Shut the F up, I yelled back. Mind your own business. Her next-door neighbor, Patrick something, I won't say it, a city police officer was off-duty at the time, apparently had enough of Miss Herb's foul mouth and asked to keep asked her to keep it down, police said. When Miss Herb didn't stop, he called the police. What a jerk. Yeah. You know, again, who cares? If it bothers you that much, close your damn window. Exactly. Or and, put in some earplugs. And you know something? If you got if you got a toilet overflowing, I don't I'm not I don't partake in swearing very often. But if a toilet were overflowing in my house and, and going down through the floor, and uh, I, I'd be stringing them off like Michelangelo. Absolutely. Right. You, you, who I, at that point, you never know uh, what's going to come out of your mouth. I mean, it's an emergency. Right. People say the darndest things in emergencies. When the, when the heat is on, when the pressure is high, that's what happens. Right. When there's a floater going down the steps, <laughs> it's, a, it's bad, bad news. Exactly. You know, if you don't want me to yell and curse. Uh, when a situation like that is happening, why don't you come over here and clean it up? You know? Yeah. That's I'm, just outrageous. Now she's facing a $300 fine. Or shoot it with his gun or something. I don't know. I don't know if that'll help. No. It, really, it busted up a little bit. Is there any more to the story? <laughs> a little bit, but that's that's the gist of it. I gotcha. Just amazing. Look, I understand people want... They're, they're, for some reason, the Ameri- a lot of people in America have an issue with these four-letter words. And I just don't understand it. If people would uh, simply get over it, uh, they'd, if you just let people use them without having an issue, they'll lose their power. I mean, people that are easily offended by these words, they just need to just move on. They're well, letters strung together in sequence. I what fundamentally this... is different about them from every other word you use in your vocabulary? Well, you know, it, he probably found the uh, the language somewhat offensive, but the volume was an issue too. If she'd have been cursing under her breath, it wouldn't have been a problem. If she would have uh, been yelling, "Gosh darn golly," you know things like that, it, mm-hmm. it probably wouldn't have been been as big of an issue. But it's kind of the the combination of the two. Yeah, who knows? Maybe he would have snitched her out if she was uh, just yelling at the top of her lungs at the 
at the toilet. You know, I've had uh, my neighbors here in New Hampshire. There was one night where they were making some noise, and there were a couple F-bombs coming from that direction. And obviously, things had gotten a little heated over there. Really, I never even crossed my mind once. And it, and it was it was a little protracted. It went on for a little while. Not half an hour or anything like that, but it went on for several minutes. And uh, I never once crossed my mind. I mean, certainly it was distracting. Uh, my girlfriend and I were laying in bed at the time, and we were trying to go to sleep. And, and I understand some people can't close the window. They don't have air conditioning. So that I, that I get. But really, all I thought to myself was, wow, glad I don't live in that household. <laughs> you know? I mean, they're cursing at each other, yelling up a storm. Just made me, just made me feel good about where I was living. Because that's stuff that wasn't going on in my house. And, you know, if you want to air your dirty laundry or your dirty business for all your neighbors to hear, then they'll listen. They're going to think some things and they're going to listen to you. What else do you want to happen? You want to put someone in a jail cell because they cursed at the top of their lungs at an overflowing toilet? I mean, this is just madness. Yeah, it is. Well, some of it's revenge for him, um, her telling him to, uh, you know, pipe down when. Uh, yeah, it's, it's retribution. Yeah, is how I dare see. you do that? I'm a police officer. One eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. If you've got a story of some petty nonsense law that uh, is, I guess, in existence in your town or city, I'd love to have you share it. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. Whether or not you've been charged with it, if you just know it exists or you've seen a story, just very curious as to how micromanaging these things can get. In the meantime, since we started talking about three one one, a number that you can apparently call in New York City to snitch out your neighbors which is how the little girl, the six-year-old girl, got caught in the first place for graffiti because one of her neighbors dialed this snitch line and, and uh, snitched her out. Well, apparently it's also going on, not the 311 thing, but snitching, it's going on down in Massachusetts as well. According to Michael Graham at the Boston Herald, they're watching you right now. They counted every beer you drank during the recent uh, Red Sox games, and they're, they see you sneaking out to the garage for a smoke. They know that if you've got a gun... And where you keep it, they're your kids, and they're the National Security Agency of the Nanny State. I found this out after my 13-year-old daughter's annual checkup. Her pediatrician grilled her about alcohol and drug abuse. Pediatrician. Now, we knew the D.A.R.E. officers were doing these things in government schools. We knew that much. You send your kids to an anti-drug class, you can expect that they're going to be asked questions about your drug use. But now the doctors are being used as a, uh, a, a an information recruitment arm for the state. We'll tell you more about this little program and what it means for your freedoms. This is Free Talk Live. George Phillies is the right candidate for president, a serious, well-educated candidate who stands for the basic principles of liberty and the basic principles of this nation. Paid for by Phillies 2008. This is George Phillies, libertarian for president. I approved of this message. The show is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free at 800-259-9231. CAI toll-free line. It's 1-800-259-9231. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. You can join us online at freetalklive.com. Sign up for the updates. We'll keep you in the loop. Whenever there's something fresh to announce about the show, you will know first. If you're on the updates list at updates.freetalklive.com, that's updates.freetalklive.com. Your mattress was likely manufactured using all kinds of disturbing chemicals. Does this bother you? Well, it bothers some scientists, especially in the case of young children. Savvy Rest mattresses are made of 100% natural latex rubber, organic wool, and organic cotton. 
Try their crib mattresses, too. SavvyRest.com for the sleep you've been dreaving of. That's SavvyRest.com. Now, we've uh, been talking about these silly laws that they have throughout American cities uh, that just micromanage your behavior. They don't even allow you to curse at your toilet when it's overflowing, apparently, in some cities. And also talking about how um, a lot of these laws encourage your neighbors to snitch you out. Sometimes it's even with a cash reward. I mean, really, it's that bad uh, these days. We we really do live in a snitch society, and I don't think it's healthy. I, I don't think it's healthy for uh, to encourage these sorts of relationships. You should be getting along with your neighbors, not trying to figure out ways to enrich yourself by reporting them for some sort of piddly little violation on their property. Right. Your neighbors shouldn't be some way that you can cash in by snitching on them. That's, right. That's bad. Right. It's bad enough that we already had busybodies before all these snitch laws, but now they're rewarding the busybodies, which encourages busybody behavior. That's not something that we need. But I would love to have you share with us what the busybody laws are like in your area. What sort of leverage are uh, your local governments giving the busybodies living on your street? 800-259-9231. In the meantime, we'll uh, again tell you this story from the Boston Herald, Michael Graham. Now, what's interesting about this story, besides the story itself, is the author is a radio talk show host who I've only heard him once because I don't live in Boston, but... uh, I get the impression from just seeing the guy's website that he's one of these Rush Limbaugh wannabes, you know, just your standard cookie-cutter conservative talk show host. And I find it interesting that he's so outraged by the uh, this invasion of privacy here that essentially the what he's going to tell you about is his 13-year-old daughter went for an annual checkup and her pediatrician grilled her about alcohol and drug abuse. Now, not the daughter's boozing, but the parents' drug and alcohol abuse. Mm. Now, most of these law and order conservatives are real gung-ho about the war on drugs. They think the war on drugs is a wonderful idea. But I guess that you're right, Mark. Everybody really does have their line in the sand. Everybody does have a point at which the government has gone too far. And now that the, uh, the government has recruited doctors, apparently, to do its investigative work for it, now some conservatives are getting outraged about it. I don't blame them. I mean, you know, it's it's outrageous, but uh, people do have their line in the sand, and this is this is what we have hath wrought here. You know, he says uh, the doctor wanted to know how much you and mom drink, and if I think it's too much, my daughter told us afterward, rolling her eyes in that in that exasperated thirteen year old way. <laughs> she asked, if, I could just see it. She asked if you two did drugs or if there are any drugs in the house. Yeah, like you're that cool, dad. <laughs> what I yelped. Who told her about my stash? I mean, it's an outrage. I turned to my wife. You took her to the doctor. Why didn't you say something? She couldn't, she told me, because she knew nothing about it. All of these questions were asked in private, without my wife's knowledge or consent. My daughter continued, Well, the doctor wanted to know how well we get along, and if, well, Daddy, if you made me feel uncomfortable. Great. Uh Uh-oh. I send my daughter to the pediatrician to find out if she's fit to play lacrosse, and the doctor spends her time trying to find out if her mother and I are drunk, drug addict, sex criminals. We're not alone, either, thanks to guidelines issued by the American Academy of Pediatrics and supported by the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. Mm -hmm. Doctors across the state are now interrogating our kids about mom and dad's bad behavior. We used to be proud parents, but now, thanks to the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP, we've become persons of interest. 
The paranoia over parents is so strong that the AAP encourages doctors to ignore legal barriers and deference to parental involvement and shake the children down for all the inside information they can get. After all, we're trying to save lives here. Uh, I happen to be on IM with uh, Jekyll, uh, Jason from Sekel CAI. He says that one of his uh, um, little brothers was asked at a doctor's visit whether there were any guns in the house. Oh, yeah. You know what? Next paragraph. Debbie is a mom from Uxbridge who was in the examination room when the pediatrician asked her five-year-old, does daddy own a gun? When the little girl said yes, the doctor began grilling her and her mother about the number and type of guns, how they're stored, etc. What's so funny? Daddy's got three crazies. Mommy's got a 20-gauge shotgun. (laughs) This is just unbelievable. A 20-gauge is good mommy-sized. If the incident had ended there, it would merely have been annoying. But when a friend in law enforcement let Debbie know her doctor had filed a report with the police about her family's entirely legal gun ownership, she got mad. She also got a new doctor. In fact, the problem of anti-gun advocacy in the examining room has become so widespread that some some states are considering legislation to stop it. Well, they should. You know what kills me about this, though, is this is a, this is a supposedly a conservative talk show host who probably wouldn't even think about this much, or even maybe stick up for the practice if it hadn't happened to him. Mm. But he would only be concerned about civil liberties if his guy wasn't in the White House. Yeah, he'd be. He certainly would be more concerned. Uh, uh, you don't hear a peep out of so-called conservatives now about civil liberties now because their guy's been in the White House for seven years. But believe me, if Hillary gets in, you're going to hear them all of a sudden. They're all going to be libertarians again. Yeah, yep. they're going to change their tune. You're right. See, that, 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 that's the that's the God's honest truth. I started listening to Rush Limbaugh back when uh, you know the the great conservative uh, contract with America back was when going he was on, on TV. Uh, yeah, he was fat. on TV. I was I was listening to him on the radio, and then he went on TV. So I don't know when that was, yeah. 92, 93, yeah, something yeah, yeah. like that, I started listening. And I loved everything he said. Small government this, small government mm-hmm. that. And I remember in 1999, he, we were you know deciding who we were going to vote for in 2000. And he said, the real small government guy here is George W. Bush. No uh-huh. nation building. That's what he said when he was running. Small and government. The, that, that's... That that that's what got me to the point where I was just about ready to vote for George Bush. I never did get to vote in that particular election, but um, you know, I I might have voted for George Bush in 2000, on based on what Rush Limbaugh said, and it turns out not true. What a right. surprise! And he, what is he? What is Rush Limbaugh doing every single day? Apologizing for the uh, um, the, the the Republicans in there and how they're just shoving their pockets as full of cash as is they he? possibly he's can. He's apologizing for that? I, I don't mean apologize. He's, apo- he's an apologist. For an them. apologist, yeah. Oh, okay, I, yeah. A, yeah. He's an apologist for the fact that they are doing those right. things. He's, uh, it's he's okay. making excuses at for least, them. At least it's not the Democrats. You know? <laughs> I mean, that's, I don't understand. What difference does it make to me what, the, what color the, sh- the shirt the thief is wearing? It's still a thief. You know, I think it would be awful... If uh, if what you say comes true, Wayne, and that a Democrat wins the presidency and that that shifts the Republicans back into their small government mode again, because 
I think there are a lot of Republicans that have been fed up with the fact that they've been lied to and that it's all been a scam and they know it. But I wonder if they'll sort of forget about it if all of a sudden the entire party and all the candidates shift back to, you know, on the attack mode, Mm -hmm. going after the big government Democrats and, you know, positioning themselves as small government again. Will they just tell themselves, oh, well, they're finally back to their principles. I think I can get behind them again. I think that they absolutely. I'm not forgetting about it. Are you? I think they'll. I, I won't, but I think they absolutely. The, the American people absolutely will. I yeah. just, I, I'm sorry, but I believe that they will. I These believe are the same people that don't know what year 9-11 happened. That, yeah. They don't know who the, uh, <laughs> the vice president is. I'm sorry, but, you know, I believe that each individual is the most qualified person to run their own life. Mm-hmm. I just think they're wholly unqualified to vote for who runs mine. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, you know, like we've said before, too, if Ron Paul does not win the Republican nomination, Hillary is going to win. Probably. I believe that to be the case. Because all the other ones are perceived as being just like Bush, and everyone is disgusted with him. Right, and no so, one wants to go to war. No one wants right. to keep going to this war. And, and Hillary can even, even intimate that she's for the war or and for bombing Iran, but because she's a Democrat, uh, she's still perceived as being a little bit different. Right, she gets a pass. She gets a pass. Uh, because she's been saying something about uh, opposing war, even though she's not really serious about it, and it's very unlikely that she's going to do anything about it, even if she does get elected. But anyway, 800-259-9231. Speaking of war, some people believe, and I'm sure a number of conservatives believe this, that war is healthy for the economy. And Wayne, you want to talk about that? This is Free Talk Live. We'll cover that in your calls as well. This is Free Talk Live. You can bring up anything. The toll-free number is 1-800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. The features are for free, so enjoy those on us. And if you like the show and you want to help support Free Talk Live, then go shopping at amazon.freetalklive.com. When you enter Amazon through that link, Free Talk Live gets a percentage of your purchase. It's that easy. 41 categories to shop in. A huge selection of products. And so if there's something you've been looking to buy, they probably sell it, and it's probably a really good price, and you might even get free Super Saver shipping. Get your shopping experience uh, started through this link, amazon.freetalklive.com, and anything you buy, Free Talk Live will get a cut. All right, so we are talking, or we were uh, just about to jump into this, about war, and a common, very common misconception about it. A lot of people believe that war is good for the economy. That's what they tell us. War is good for the economy. When I don't, I mean, the only time I ever heard that was as an adult from other people. Do they teach you that in government school? I'm, I don't know where I've heard it, but uh, you know, you, along the well, way it, you hear it. Gets it gets around, that's for sure. And Wayne, you have a rebuttal. That's right. Life, like death and taxes and the weather, war profiteers are perennial, and little is done about them. And it's useless to pass judgment on war itself. It's such a fixture of human history that some see it as kind of progress. So let's assess the popular notion that war is good for the economy. The broken window fallacy originated in a parable about war in an 1850 essay. In brief, a boy breaks a shopkeeper's window, but people gradually decide that the boy is not a vandal. He is a public benefactor who has helped the the glazier, who is the glassmaker, earn money and then spend it uh, with the baker and the shoemaker. Mm. The fallacy is that uh, the public considers only the visible benefits of the broken window and not the hidden costs to the shopkeeper. Even worse, sometimes in real life, the glazer hires a boy to break the window. (laughs) 
Yep. Well, that's that's the military industrial complex. Right. That's right. That would be Exxon and all the big oil companies. I don't I don't want to name names as to which ones that are they are, but it's not necessarily oil. It's the weapons manufacturers like you know Lockheed and Raytheon and those people. I think in the particular case of the Iraq War is largely oil played a, a very big part. Oh, mm-hmm. d- sure. I'm not denying that. I'm just pointing out that uh, that the the weapons manufacturers I think probably are profiting more so than the oil companies. Just you know, go ahead. Yeah. So the author goes on to say, he says, there's three basic ways to fund wars. Increase taxes, assume debt, and decrease other spending. Lately, the U.S. is doing at least two of the three, pushing war costs into the future. War funding may benefit segments of the economy, mostly contractors, suppliers, and some skilled labor, but the opportunity costs are far greater. Material manufacturers make money and spend it in the broader economy, but few count the hidden opportunity costs, the the places that money could have gone instead. UK-based Oxfam published a report last week showing uh, that war is not good for the sub-Saharan African economy, which received about $300 billion in aid during the last 15 years and spent it all on armed conflict. Jeez. Yeah, they've gotten all that money in aid, and all they've done is spend it on wars with each other. Right, this that's, is what happens. That's the problem with the aid. Is, foreign aid, yeah. Right, with the foreign aid is we give it to the governments. We don't give it to the people as much as we like to help those people over there, the, the governments, governments get the money. It's, it's unlikely that it, even if you wanted to give it to the people, that the government would allow that Absolutely sort of thing. not. It'd step right in and snatch your foodstuffs. Right. If, if you gave food or clothing or things like that, they'd probably take the food and the clothing and sell it and take the money and fight wars with yep. it. Yeah. And a lot of foreign aid also goes to uh, corp- big corporations, and some of them are multinational, some are American corporations who mm. have contracts with those governments. So whether it's to supply arms to those countries or whatever, there, there's a lot of that money never goes to the people anyway, the, supposedly where it's supposed to go. Anyway, this report we were talking about from Ox, Oxfam compares the economies of countries at war with those of countries experiencing peace. According to the report, the average war, civ- civil war or insurgency shrinks an African economy by 15%, hmm. and the continent loses about $18 billion U.S. dollars a year to conflict. The study doesn't measure the cost of refugees, rebuilding, and other consequences. The prerequisites for war is the negative social mood that generates from the provocations and reasons for war. Then we know that the biggest surge in popularity and power any leader ever gets is at the beginning of the war. When handed that choice, some do not resist. War can be prevented. Look at it. It happened right here. I mean, George Bush, Mm -hmm. very popular at the beginning of the Iraq War in comparison Mm -hmm. to where he is today. He just hit a new low. Extraordinarily popular at the end of, uh, you know, when 9-11 occurred. Mm -hmm. And one could call that the beginning of the war on terror. You could. That's right. And war can be prevented. The, human, the Cuban Missile Crisis provides one of the classic political science lessons for that. But there are no parades, no medals, no heroes, or celebrations for prevented wars. Mm. In the aftermath of, of prevented war, what do we have our functional schools, we have buildings, water systems, health care, roads, bridges, and quality of life. Oh, and some people are alive who would, would have been dead. Sure. Right. We seldom so think about that. The idea is is that um, we're going to spend the money somewhere, whether we spend it on things that go boom. You mean the government? Right. The government is going to spend things somewhere, um, spend money somewhere, whether it spends it on things that go boom, or whether it um, you know leaves it in our pockets for us to spend, or whether it spends it on social programs, those kind of things. Um, any of those things is better than things that you blow up. And yeah, that's true. The 3,000 people that have so far died in Iraq were essentially their lives are wasted. They're not going to be. They're not going to come home and uh, do anything good for the economy. 
and the 20-something thousand people that have been injured, they're going to be a drain on the economy. They're going to be a drain on the economy. You got it. You got it. We seldom think about where the money could have gone and how the lives would have been lived, as you were saying. Unfortunately, it is unlikely that humans will ever renounce diplomacy by other means. But we should subject it to critical thought, weigh its cost rationally, and do our best to anticipate it and understand its causes and effects. You know, the other thing you have to look at with um, there's there's several different reasons why war is destructive to the economy. And just looking at uh, at America and the wars that it's fighting right now, uh, we already know they're spending hundreds of billions of dollars on the Iraq war conflict. Now, you have to remember, they're also not collecting that from taxpayer dollars. They're they're creating the money from thin air. Mm-hmm. So that's another and creating way. debt that we'll have to um, that our children will have to pay off later. Right. So that's another way they're harming the economy by just in, inflating the money supply in order to fund. Now the, the weapons manufacturers are just they're peachy keen. They're doing fine because they're getting all these military contracts and they're the first people to get the printed money. So it doesn't lose value until it starts to trickle through the the system. And so. While war does benefit some companies, it does not benefit the entire economy. It, in fact, uh, it, it in fact is a destroyer of value, not only through the process of inflation, but if you go back to the broken window fallacy, people see the, uh, the, the repair job as being valuable, but what you don't understand is they're cleaning up a mess, and that mess didn't have to be created. That store owner, when his window was broken, he... You know that that destroyed some value of his, and he had to pay or whatever, or, or have the kid pay or work to pay uh, to have that window repaired. And that kid could have been working to do something that would have produced some new value instead of trying to uh, to restitute the store owner for the lost value of his window being broken. Yeah. You take that concept of lost value out and you expand it to buildings and entire swaths of land and uh, you know thousands of, if not hundreds of thousands of lives, and there's a tremendous loss of value that happens every, after every bomb drops that you can't bring back these people's lives. Even if you can repair the building, you can't bring back the lives that have been lost. How anybody could look at that loss and destruction and say that this is a good thing? Those people are twisted in the head. Something's wrong with them. And not to even mention the bombs themselves. I mean, these are not the 500-pound bombs that we uh, were dropping on uh, Japan back in World War II and Germany. These are really complicated, smart bombs. Mm -hmm. Each one of these things, I don't know. I haven't got any uh, numbers sitting in front of me. But they're hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars apiece. Yeah, so, you know, I, people in my parents' generation, I used to hear it so often growing up. Oh, the World War II got out of, get us out of the depression. Well, how? How did it do that? <laughs> you know, they can't ever explain it to me. Sounds like an old wives' tale to me. Yeah, it's an old wives' tale. If World War II created or got us out of the depression, and I remember, I was a kid, but I remember during the Vietnam War, we uh, Lyndon Johnson had pursued this so-called guns and butter policy. We were in the war, plus he was elevating all of the, um, and ratcheting up all the social programs. Mm-hmm. So, And then, of course, it got so bad that Nixon had to actually take us off the international gold standard in 1971 because we had such a bad trade imbalance, mm-hmm. and, our, and, and the dollar was getting so messed up that foreign countries were demanding gold as payment, and, and gold was going over to Europe, and mm-hmm. so that's when he cut it off. Um, and, of course, during the 70s after that, we had, we had stagflation, which is economic stagnation along with inflation. And it didn't stop until they raised interest rates to almost 20%. And that was that flushed a lot of the, the um, inefficiencies out of the economy. And then during the 80s, we had a good economy again. 
But they can't do that today. They can't raise interest rates to 20% because they'll destroy the economy completely mm. with all the leverage and debt. And At this point, the interest rates are relatively low com- right. uh, you know, f- compared to my lifetime, what I've seen. And the housing market is stagnant as hell. Mm-hmm. May, I, you know, People are saying, predicting that it won't come back for years. Probably oh, won't. Yeah. Buy my house. House.freetalklive.com. <laughs> 800-259-9231. No, I'm serious. Buy my house. Uh, it's beautiful. 3-2. Just minutes from the beach. Sarasota, Florida. Live on the Sun Coast. Great excuse to maybe retire a little early. Anyway, nice. House.freetalklive.com. Back with Hour 2 in moments. This is Free Talk Live. One of the bonuses you'll get as a Free Talk Live amplifier is access to our classic archives. For just $3 a month, you can become an amplifier, and you'll help us get on more radio stations and MP3 players. Get the details at amp.freetalklive.com. That's amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live. We're launching into hour number two. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 1-800-259-9231, the SACL CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us on our website, freetalklive.com. It's the place to go. The features on the site are for free, so enjoy those on us. That again, freetalklive.com. You can call in about anything. In the meantime, uh, we go to lewrockwell.com's Anthony Gregory and an excellent little uh, article about libertarians and whether or not we worship the marketplace. Do, do libertarians worship at the altar of the market. Now, I call myself a free marketeer, so someone could possibly accuse me of something like this. I think it's an interesting story. He says, among other common accusations, we libertarians are accustomed to the charge that we worship the market. We're lumped in with conservatives, Republicans, and big businessmen, all of whom ostensibly have turned private enterprise into some sort of god to be honored and obeyed regardless of the consequences for humanity. To oppose state interventions in the economy, especially in the form of regulations or welfare, is supposedly the sign of uh, dogmatic fanaticism, but without the saving grace of spirituality. No, our worship is that of cold, hard, inhumane materialism. Ironies and confusions abound from this gross uh, mischaracterization. First off, we do not, as libertarians, categorically have to have any position toward the marketplace other than that it should be free from coercive intrusion. Our only necessary moral take on capitalism is that it should be separated completely from aggression. Which is the biggest problem that we see today is that people don't understand what capitalism really is. Mm-hmm. They look at the American, uh, they look at the American society, and they say, "Well, we live in a capitalistic society." Well, it's not true capitalism. It may, it may be capitalistic in that there are people doing capitalist actions in the society, but when you've got government around, when you've got the reins of power available to people that are greedy, they are inevitably going to go after those reins of power and use them to enrich themselves and their friends and, and punish their enemies. So it, it's quite dangerous to have the coercive institution of government around, uh, whether or not it's a capitalist uh, society. So I think that uh, people misunderstand capitalism. They don't under, they don't, it's one of those words that's just been destroyed over time and through misuse in popular culture. Uh, I would like to have a truly capitalist society, but we don't have that today. What we have is a, a, what they call a mixed economy, right? Yeah, mostly where, socialism and corporatism. Where there's a whole lot of socialism, a lot of wealth redistribution, but capitalism is allowed to some extent if you jump through the right hoops, if you grease the right palms. And if you're in the right industry. Right. Yeah. 
So to say that libertarians worship the market is no more correct than saying drug policy reformers worship drug abuse because they question the notion that government force is the proper remedy. At a minimum, libertarians only tolerate the market and wish for it to be separated from state violence. This is the presumed liberal position on religion, that government should neither actively promote nor restrict religion. Yet this doesn't mean all liberals worship every faith that they wish to see isolated from coercive sanction. Of course, most libertarians happen not to be neutral on the market itself. We do, not out of first ethical principles, but from other considerations, tend to positively favor the market. Some of us would say we love it, even if we would come short of admitting any sort of religious devotion to it. And this is where understanding economics comes into play. Although the voluntary nature of the market alone makes it necessarily more attractive to libertarians and the government, economic science and simple empirical evidence makes the bulletproof case that we owe much more to the market than is realized by most people, including, and here's one of those ironies, conservatives, Republicans, and big businessmen. It's not an exaggeration to say that civilization itself depends on the free exchange of goods and services. Though there are some people that will claim that civilization only exists because of government. We've had people make that claim on this show before, and I just find it outrageous. I don't think it's based on anything but pure fantasy, personally. Well, civilizations, civilization has risen with government. Um, you know, you, you can claim whatever you wish about the, that relationship, but um, it, largely there isn't a great example of a civilization rising without government. Well, it's really that civilization has risen in spite of government, not because of government. I would say that civilization would continue. Um, I, I don't like to get into the past too much on um, these right. issues because you can – you can go back and forth on it, but uh, certainly if we back the government off about 75 percent, if civilization is going to do just fine here in the United States. Of course it will, for the reasons he's going to point out. Uh, but, you know, civilize, civilization and being civilized has to do with a certain mode of operation. Uh, you know, it's not civilized to go and steal things from your neighbor. It is civilized to ask permission to do things and that sort of thing, to ask to borrow or to purchase and that and so on. So government doesn't operate in a civilized fashion at all. It uses violence and threats of violence in order to get its way. So government is the antithesis of civilization. And civilization should be congratulated for being able to progress even in the face of these armed government people that are demanding they do what they want them to. You know, I like what Doug Casey said a few weeks ago when we interviewed him. He said there are two ways to interact with other people. One is on a voluntary basis, and one is through force and coercion. It's true. And there's no place for force and coercion in a civilized society. Absolutely. And that's really what we're trying to do on Free Talk Live and in the liberty movement as a whole is trying to help people understand that. You know, most people have never had that it had it made crystal clear to them. They've never seen that choice before. They choose voluntary interactions unless they're a, a violent criminal or a government person. Um uh, but yes, 99.9% of people are are dealing on a voluntary basis. They just need to understand that that's the way everyone should operate, including the government. Of course, then again, they won't be government anymore. But Let's continue. Without private property, there would be no commerce, no culture, no society of which to speak. There would be no food and no clothing for the masses, no medical technology. No this is what's claimed. No comparative frivolity such as musical equipment. Well, I mean, the communist Russians had food. You just had to wait in lines to get it, and it was moldy and gross. Bad. Uh, so no comparative frivolity such as musical equipment, athletic gear, art supplies, nor the leisure time during which to indulge in them. There would, for nearly all humans living today, be no life. To reject private property and the right to buy, sell, and trade is to reject the foundations of economic progress, out of which comes the time for men and women to engage in charity. 
to improve themselves in matters scientific and spiritual, to philosophize and better all of humanity with insights that bring us closer to the civil ideal. Now, have I just conceded that which I had set out to refute? Some might read that above uh, those above words and conclude that I indeed worship the market, that I see in materialism the salvation of humanity. How crude, how vulgar, how oversimplified. Well, consider the socialist alternatives. Economic interventionists of all stripes wish to hamper the marketplace, to constrain it, to force it into their own mold. It's clearly no small uh, institution in their assessment. They seem to see it as a bane nearly as much as we see it as a blessing. What's more, they understand that wealth is required for all of their central planning schemes, whether the ones that will one day achieve utopia or the ones that will inject some pragmatic order into the chaos of the marketplace. How do they seek to fund their beloved government uh, interventions? By stealing from the market. Whether by inflating the money supply, seizing land and resources outright, or confiscating the fruits of production, labor, and exchange, all government programs have depended upon preying on the private sector for their operating budgets. Even as those who question the uh, the majesty of the market can conceive of even those who even as those who question the majesty of the market can conceive of only one way of funding their alternative institution by robbing that from that which they disparage. Thus do all regulators, welfare workers, public school teachers, police officers, soldiers, bureaucrats, and politicians get paid by looting the demonized and misunderstood voluntary sector of economic life. Thus do all who who depend on government handouts ultimately depend ever more fundamentally upon the market that produces the wealth in the first place. While the market doesn't need politicians and social workers in order to do its magic, without the market as a host, the parasitic state would have nothing on which to prey, and it would die instantly. Which explains why the state is so big in America. I mean, the... There are more despotic countries out there that rule with a much more uh, clenched fist and more overt violence than the than the American state does. Many of those states are supported by the United States. That's true, and they don't have the uh, the the tax base from which to extract tremendous amounts of wealth from in order to uh, expand their activities significantly. Whereas this government has managed to grow into this leviathan. I mean, it has gotten into every area of our lives with its with its awful tentacles of control, and it's because the uh, the marketplace is so relatively strong in America because it was so much more free. For instance, at the beginning of the of the 20th century, the marketplace in America was far more free. Uh, than it is today, and that's when a real, the real bulk of the wealth in this country was created, when a lot of uh, amazing innovations happen. I'm not saying innovations aren't happening today. They are, and there's some really amazing ones happening today, but we could be having more of it if it weren't for this parasitic government on the backs of all of the productive people in the economy. More on the way. Do libertarians worship the market? This is Free Talk Live. Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. Join us on our website. Freetalklive.com is the place to go. The wiki is there. Over 1,400 pages created by listeners like you. It's like a listener-editable version of our website. Get interactive at wiki.freetalklive.com. W-I-K-I.freetalklive.com. And do you need a new computer but don't seem to have the money or credit to buy one? MyPCCredit.com is your answer. Finance top-quality new computers and laptops and hundreds of other electronics. There are no credit checks and no turndowns. If you're 18 years or older and have proof of income, you're approved. Prices start from 22 bucks a month. So go to MyPCCredit.com and finance your new computer today. That's MyPCCredit.com. 
com 800-259-9231 as we continue to talk about uh, do libertarians worship the marketplace that's what anthony gregory is uh, addressing over at lewrockwell.com he's pointing out that the government can only operate all these government programs that so many people love so much you know, more the government type people uh, they can only operate with a productive marketplace to prey upon because they're not actually out there creating products and services and offering them on a voluntary basis and doing business on a voluntary basis. They like have my to, PC credit. I guess, yeah. They have to have people, they have to have business people uh, in order to suck off their wealth from them. And he says the socialists used to believe that markets couldn't produce wealth for the masses, feed and clothe them. Now they have mostly abandoned that argument and focused on the inequalities and obscenities of mass production. They even belittled those of us who defend the market as being beholden to materialism, commercialism, and mere things as opposed to people. Yet at the core of all of their demands for a thousand new government programs is a demand for material goods. Right, they have to have money to do it. Those who chant that health care is a human right are really talking about bottles of antibiotics, surgical tools, hospitals, and beds for the infirmed. Those who demand more money for the schools are similarly talking about books, chalkboards, and other physical goods. They're just as materialistic as we are. They see dollar signs on everything, too. For them, all of social life revolves around commodities. The only difference is how they seek to get goods to those who need them. We see cooperation and voluntary exchange rather than robbery as the answer. Yet there's another element in economics that can't be forgotten, without which no physical good can be of use to anyone, and that is the human component, the labor and the organizing and the mental work that it takes to get things done. All of the hospital beds are nearly useless without nurses or doctors, to say nothing of those who truck them around, deliver them, and assemble them. As socialist programs continue to violate and loot from the market in order to achieve their supposed goals, they eventually run into a fundamental problem. You can move beds around, you can transport chalkboards, and you can steal money. But what about the people involved, the human beings, the doctors and nurses, teachers, and workers of all kinds? They must either be bought off with stolen wealth, or failing that, coercion must be applied on them. The more socialism persists, the more society moves from voluntary means to compulsory means. Ultimately, Herbert Spencer was all too right when he said that all socialism involves slavery. For the more, voluntary, uh, the more the voluntary means of the market are discarded and replaced with the political means, the more people are enslaved to the socialist project. Even leftists understand on some level the connection between human rights and free markets. Many of them decried the sanctions on Iraq, for example. A cruel imposition of political priorities to the fatal detriment of millions of people's inalienable rights to own property and trade it voluntarily. And remember, sanctions are when the government goes in and says, sorry, you can't have any imports anymore. You can't, we're not going to allow these sorts of imports. No more uh, medicine, no more food, no more this, no more that. We, did it, we yeah. did it to Japan in World War II, too. That's right, because you've been a very bad little puppet. Right, but it's you're punishing the people of the country for you know the the bad things the right. government has I done. I mean, we saw Saddam Hussein's palaces. The fact is, the sanctions that we put on uh, Iraq didn't have anything to do, you know they didn't affect Saddam Hussein poorly. They affected the Iraqis poorly. Yeah. Many of them decried the sanctions on Iraq. Uh, he said the Iraqis didn't need handouts from the U.S. government. They just needed to be left alone to trade. Yet conservatives who pay lip service to free trade had little problem defending these unspeakably wicked violations of Iraqis' human right to trade. 
Oddly, the left didn't learn that lesson, uh, didn't learn the lesson that every such government violation of the market order has terrible effects, both seen and unseen, for those who need material goods and thus property rights just to live healthy and be adequately fed. Do we worship the market? No. But we do recognize that we owe to it all of the wealth around us, the material progress that the socialists call superficial, even as they expropriate and try to mimic it with their own violent institution, the state. We do recognize that civilization could not exist without economic exchange. We also recognize that as imperfect as the market might be, just as humanity itself falls short of perfection, it is infinitely superior to the intrinsically violent and dehumanizing organization known as the state. I'd make a wager to all the status. We'll see how we'll fare with just the market, without the state constantly imposing its edicts and robbing from its product. Then we can see how well we would do if we eliminated voluntary exchange, production, and private property altogether. See if the state could even survive not having something to feed off of. Of course, this wager is unnecessary, since every time socialism has been seriously attempted, the burden civilization simply couldn't handle it, and something had to give right. way. And if you think that the the USSR was somehow the the pinnacle of socialism, you're mistaken. Not even socialists think that. They just think it's if they did it the wrong way, and we need to do, do it a different way. Well, they tried getting rid of money. They tried getting rid of private property. They tried getting rid of those things, mm-hmm. and people simply wouldn't have it. There's no way that people will work if they don't have anything of their own to possess. And you know, I remember reading that they were the lar- Russia was the largest exporter of food in the world up until Lenin and Stalin, and then they were starving, and it wasn't until they allowed the people to grow their own food in their own gardens that they didn't that they actually had some food. And Talk United about S- studying contrast. Yeah, and the United States was actually sending a lot of food to Russia and the Soviet Union later on. Right, because it, a government simply can't do anything as efficiently as the marketplace. They can't do anything correct. right. I mean, There's no accountability, and there's no incentive, and there are no market signals to the government, or very few. Yep. In the process, inevitably come enslavement and impoverishment on a wide scale. Eventually, the state itself collapses, as the host can no longer support it. So instead, I'll just pose a question. If the market is so horrible, why can't the state create its own wealth and achieve its goals without robbing the market? Good point. Of course, if it could, it wouldn't be a state at all, but just another voluntary market institution. Is it really any wonder that we prefer that which is necessary to humanity and inherently productive to that which can only live violently at its expense? 800-259-9231. It's not necessarily a worship of the marketplace. It's just an understanding that voluntary interactions produce benefits for society while coercive interactions destroy society. That's that's all. We're just observing what is true. Mm -hmm. You know, I was mentioning on the break that I was in Newport, Rhode Island over the weekend, and that you have all those big mansions... And, and you hmm. go down the center of the town, and there's all these beautiful old bi- buildings with stone and brick. And, and you look at, this is 1903, uh, and I was looking through a book about the mansions, and they were all built before 1915, most hmm. of the big ones, the really big, grand ones. And, and as far as I'm concerned, really 1913 is when we stopped being a truly capitalist nation. Uh, but you, you saw all the wealth that, that really was created in a relatively short period of time uh, during that early 1900s period before uh, we went on a, um, a central bank system. And I was just blown away. I was completely blown away. And you were saying that uh, that essentially before 1913, people were building with cash. They, were, they weren't financing from banks That's very right. much. Yeah, businesses could finance their own expansion. 
And the banks didn't like that. And that's and that'd be great. More businesses should be able to do that. More on the way you take control. This is Free Talk Live. With your help, we can spread the message of liberty around the world. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just $3 a month now at amp.freetalklive.com. If you can't afford it, keep enjoying us for free. If you can spare the three, visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, your show. You take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. 800-259-9231. Join us online at freetalklive.com. The features on the site are for free, and those include the archives. An entire year's worth of the show, front page of the website, for your download and convenience at freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live is brought to you by the Free State Project, your only choice for more personal freedom and smaller, less intrusive government. To learn more about joining the Second American Revolution, go to freestateproject.org. That's freestateproject.org. We go to the phones and to the fun. Dan in Maine. Dan, you're on Free Talk Live with Ian and Mark Howdy. and Wayne. Hello. Howdy. How are you guys today? Great. What's on your mind, Dan? Um, I'm just calling to let you know a personal campaign success story with uh, Ron Paul I've had re- as of recently. Do tell, do tell. Um, well, recently I purchased that pack of a thousand, you know, Liberty cards with the Ron Paul on it and, you know, mm-hmm. things, showing things he hasn't voted on. Okay. And, uh... By the way, you can do that at libertycard.org. That's where those are available. Yep. Okay. I purchased a thousand of those and I got the bumper stickers. And, um... I uh, was handing them around my work and whatnot, and I actually had some of my supervisors and bosses call me into their offices and ask me, you know, and ask me how to, uh, like, to more elaborate more on why I support this person. Hmm. And actually, the majority of my, like, supervisors were all, you know, they they had never heard of him, and they were, you know, very enthusiastic about, you know, how, uh, like, liberating his campaign is. Interesting. Mm-hmm. And um, I put a couple of the cards of his uh, on the punch out, you know, where people punch in their cards yeah, the time, their time yeah. and whatnot. I put a couple of the cards near there, and I noticed at the end of the day, probably about 10 of my fellow coworkers just picked up the cards and, you know, they looked at some of the stuff, how he, you know, voted not to raise taxes and against the war. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I heard it from a couple of people, I'm voting for this guy. Yeah. That's great. That is fantastic, and uh, I'm glad that they didn't come down on you. Were you a little nervous when they called you in? Were you concerned they were going to uh, maybe say, uh, you shouldn't be doing this, politics at work, blah, blah, blah? Well, it's, it's a pretty casual business, so... That's good. I'm, I, I wasn't really worried, and uh, I, they know me to be uh, you know, pretty open with my views and whatnot, so... You know, talk about two winning issues. I mean, the taxes and the war. Uh, those are got to be those are just huge, huge issues for most Americans. I mean, the the vast majority of Americans want to end the war, and I think the vast majority of Americans would agree they're overtaxed. So, I mean, wonderful uh, leading issues to bring people into the campaign. And congratulations on that. Anything else to share? Um. Yeah. Actually, I had a I had a couple couple more comments. Um. I like how I like I really love the Free State Project, though being in Maine and uh, I have a pretty good job here. Mm-hmm. I'm kind of hoping that uh, the Free State Project, New Hampshire, succeeds, and <laughs> and uh, that probably would kind of cut Maine off from the uh, you know the socialism you know going on in the country. I don't know. And, Alaska's kind of cut off too, and they they're doing all right as far as socialism yeah. is concerned. I'm kind of hoping that will leach over for, to Maine because I know. 
like me and my friends, we actually drive to New Hampshire to get all of our clothes and stuff really? in bulk. Where, of the where do you no live in uh, in Maine? Yeah. Where, where, where do you live in Maine? I live uh, right right in Portland. Ah, so not right too far, Portland. not too far from the border. Then. Portland's a fun town. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Uh, I, I think that that's that what you that's what you might see. Wasn't Maine one of the the candidate states for the Free State Project? I, I believe. I don't it recall. Was. I think I, it was. I know Vermont was, and I think Maine was as well. All I remember is Wyoming uh, because they were they came in number two, and right. Delaware, Alaska and Delaware because they were the farthest south. Uh, I think Maine was one of them, and I think that uh, it was it was definitely qualified to possibly be the uh, selected state. It just didn't make it. It just didn't have it didn't have that live for your die attitude that I think really attracted people to New Hampshire. But who knows, man? Jobs can change, and yep. maybe someday you'll uh, you'll be uh, looking for something else, and you'll look over this direction. Yeah, if Ron Paul if Ron Paul doesn't get elected. I'd be seriously looking at the Free State Project. Very good, Dan. Thank you. Uh, we appreciate the call, man. 800-259-9231. A lot of people are getting excited about the Ron Paul campaign, and I think it's great. I, I think it's – I'm pretty excited myself, and I'm – I normally have to to temper myself. I have to be careful. I, you can't get too involved and too excited because then you'll get burned out, and I, I'm preparing myself for the inevitable burnout of a Ron Paul uh, failure. You know, I I know year. that you got hurt a lot um, in that one campaign that you did, the Bill Van Allen House uh, State House campaign that you did, and I know it was painful for you, but I, I, I you know... No, um, it's it, painful every time a libertarian... Right. 2%. But you've only been <laughs> in one campaign that thoroughly immersed. I mean, you were in it and uh, totally emotionally involved in that campaign. And I have decided with this Ron Paul campaign, I'm going to play like we're going to win. And that's the only way to play this thing. Yeah, it hurts when you tried to win and you lost. But I'm not going to play like, whoa, we could lose, and then see the, uh, the, the see it. A self-fulfilling prophecy happened. I'm playing to win. I was out the other day. Uh, I'm not saying I'm not playing to win. I'm just. I'm just saying you need to understand that you could lose. You know. And if you lose, you shouldn't give up. That's like saying going in, um, going into a, uh, a marriage with the expectation that well, you know, it's likely you'll get divorced. Well, or, you or should, we can always get divorced. Well, you should get into a marriage no, understanding that divorce is a possibility. And that's why a lot of people get the uh, the agree- they sign the, uh, the the what are they called prenuptials the, the prenups mm-hmm. beforehand. Is that a bad thing? No, it's just sensible. It's 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 a reality that you need to prepare for in the the world that we live in today. I see, I see some sense in what you're talking about. I intend to play this Ron Paul campaign like we're gonna win. Yeah, and I'll feel bad if we lose. But you know what? I think when you when you uh, point Ron Paul out to people who weren't aware of him. And they see his record. It just makes you look good because the guy has a stellar record. Mm-hmm. It's, he's not like a typical politician. And yeah, he's a Republican. So when you talk to your Democratic friends, uh, I always try to find out why they're upset uh, with, with politics today. Whether it's something Bush did, it's the, mostly it's the war, but sometimes it's civil liberties, for example. Mm. Sometimes it's other things. But I try to find out what's important to them, and then I say, well, you know, Ron Paul voted against the Patriot Act. He voted against the war. He's been talking about this stuff. Uh, for ever since before the war, and if you yeah. look at, can you see uh, how, how many of your Democratic candidates uh, voted against the Patriot Act in the war? Not very That's many. Right. And if you look at video of him uh, on YouTube from 20 years ago, he was saying all the same stuff. Same stuff. Yeah. You know, and this is the thing that when I'm when I talk to Democrats, and I've had a few occasions since I sort of came up with this philosophy, I tell them, look. You're likely going to vote for whatever Democrat comes along. What you really should do is 
register Republican or undeclared or you know whatever it takes to uh, vote Republican in the primary and vote for Ron Paul in the primary because wouldn't you rather have the ch- um, the choice you know the the worst case scenario Ron Paul wins the uh, Republican nomination mm-hmm. instead of whatever Democrat um, you know what Giuliani uh, sure. Romney. Well, it's interesting you brought that up because I had an email from a listener that was pointing out that he's a uh, pianist, music teacher, and audio engineer for a local theater. And as you might expect, most of the people I run into are of the liberal persuasion. The other day, <laughs> I wore a Ron Paul button to work at the theater, and a few people asked me, who's Ron Paul? I was totally unprepared for this. I started getting better at describing him by the third or fourth person. He wants to bring the troops home immediately, keep the government out of your home and out of your bedroom. But I'm wondering if you have any specific suggestions, perhaps some ideas about what I can say that would get liberals, artists, actors, etc. interested in looking into Ron Paul further. Uh, talking to conservatives seems easier because I don't have the feeling like I need to tiptoe around the fact that he's a Republican. Right. So uh, valid concerns. And I thought that you brought up the Patriot Act. That's got to be a that's a heavy hitter when it comes to the liberals. I mean, yeah. they uh, they were the ones leading the charge. Uh, there were a hundred and I think it was over 180 the last time I looked over 180 cities and uh, communities around the country have passed resolutions against the Patriot Act. Now, these don't actually do anything. They're just we're against the Patriot Act. I mean, yeah, that's all it really is. Resolutions. Right. Uh, but but nonetheless, those were campaigns that were led by the liberal contingent in America. So that's got a, that's a huge issue uh, with the liberals is the Patriot Act. Well, Ron Paul's and, and liberals are uh, anti-Iraq war, um, and they're largely anti-war in general, at least in their own minds. Now, they will not certainly not scream as loudly um, when, uh, when a, a Republican, Democrat goes to when war. A, when a Democrat like uh, Clinton invades Bo- Bosnia-Herzegovina because right. they're doing it for the right reasons. Or, or if, if Clinton had signed the Patriot Act, they'd probably shut up, too. Maybe, probably, But yeah. you can uh, tell liberals... But that doesn't mean, we, you know, that's not a point you want to make to them. Right. Look, um, wh- who, all the Democrats that are up there that were in that were in office at the time voted for this war in Iraq. They mm-hmm. voted for the war in Afghanistan. Ron Paul is the only politician, I guess uh, Dennis Kucinich, um, are, are the only politicians that voted against. And, and drug war They know one. Dennis Kucinich isn't going to win. Drug war can be another one. Uh, of course, many liberals are actually for the war on drugs, but they want to legalize marijuana, so maybe you should just keep it to that part. More on the way. It's free talk. Live. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. SACL CAI toll-free line, 800-259-9231. It is Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us online, freetalklive.com. Like the show? Want to help support Free Talk Live? Then go shopping at the store. Head over to store.freetalklive.com and order some Free Talk Live merchandise like Free Talk Live t-shirts and hats and hoodies. We've got the DVD Classic Archive collector sets, free bumper stickers. Head on over to store.freetalklive.com and get your shopping done. That's store.freetalklive.com. In fact, we're heading into the holiday season, of course. And uh, what a perfect excuse to buy some Free Talk Live gear for a loved one. You know, a lot of families sit down and listen to the show together, believe it or not. So, perfect excuse. Store.freetalklive.com. All right, so just a little bit more on the Ron Paul revolution. I, You know, Mark, I don't want it to make it sound like I'm not expecting, uh, that I'm not working for success on this. I mean, we talk about Ron Paul on the show. If I thought that there was no chance Ron Paul could win, I'd probably just blow him off and uh, not, you know, not even discuss it on the on the program. Right. We put a, we put a lot of um, airtime towards Ron Paul because we're both excited about it. Right. We went after him. We got him on the air, and hopefully we'll get him back. On I'm the still air. after him. <laughs> right. We want to get him <laughs> it's a back. Busy guy. Uh, and so uh, I think that he's doing amazing things. Whether or not he wins, I think that his campaign is tremendously valuable because he's 
helping open people's hearts and minds in America and around the world even to liberty and freedom and these important concepts that we talk about on an almost nightly basis on this show. So his campaign is, is going to do tremendous, uh, tremendous good, I think, to, especially with the young people of America because it's really galvanizing them towards liberty and just in general, whether or not he is successful. All I'm pointing out is that people who are new to the political world to political activism mm-hmm. and supporting a candidate, supporting, in this case, a liberty-oriented candidate, need to understand what they're going to be feeling. And I'm going to feel it, too. I'm going to be disappointed. You know, Michael Badnarik, the uh, candidate for president, Libertarian Party candidate for president in 2004, right. um, nobody thought he was going to win. No, I mean, but, but that's what we were working towards. We wanted him to do as well as he possibly could, Right, obviously. I had a Badnarik bumper sticker on my little BMW at the time. Right. So, uh, but, but, and you still feel bad when he loses. Even though you knew it was going to, probably not going to win, you still right. feel bad. You still feel like, oh, man, I wish we could have done better. Uh, but the, the thing is you just don't want to burn out. You don't want that to turn into you going away and not being active for liberty or not supporting candidates in the future. That's all I'm saying. Prepare yourself for the inevitable negativity, even if it doesn't come from you. It may not come from you. It may come from the people that were around you, the people that said, oh, you said that, Ron Paul, he had a chance, and now, look, he didn't even get fifth place. What do you know? You know, you never know what you're going to experience after the election cycle is through. Right. And that's all I'm trying to do. I'm just trying to, to prepare people for that situation. You need to understand how to deal with it, not let it get to you. You know, not let it break you away from the activism, because what's important, and Ron Paul would tell you this, he would tell you that he isn't the most important part of his campaign. He's just the guy running for president. It's all the people that are surrounding his campaign. It's the his movement. Right. It's the liberty movement. It's the Ron Paul movement. It's the people that are getting excited and getting activism. Those are the people that are going to make the difference. Those are the people that are that are really the future of liberty in America. Ron Paul, he's in his 70s. He's on his way out. You know, he's not going to be around in politics for much longer. He's probably going to want to live out the rest of his life with his wife or, or whatever and, and enjoy but not you know, going to D.C. But you know, his son, Rand, is very well spoken. And, and it, it's as if when, when I've heard Rand speak, it's almost as if he's a little a younger Ron Paul. It's sure. pretty amazing. Yeah, well, Rand, I, I would agree. But uh, Rand doesn't have the pedigree that Ron Paul does. He doesn't have, uh, you know, 10-term U.S. House of Representatives. Sure. Ron Paul's got that. And I, I would say that this is... I consider this to be the most important shot, if it's not the final shot. It's certainly the best shot of our lives. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. That yeah, doesn't sure mean is. things can't get better from here. But, again, they won't get better if people get disappointed and people get upset and people burn out. That's right. I, I know I've talked about it already this week, so we'll move on. Let's go P- to the email. Pace yourselves. Yeah, exactly. Be, and be realistic. Be, be excited now. Get excited now and transfer that excitement and that sense of enthusiasm and that sense of urgency to others. Like Dan, who called in a few moments ago from Maine, he's excited at work. And he's right. he's giving out the Liberty Cards with Ron Paul on them. And their people are getting excited as a result. Right. You can get Liberty Cards at LibertyCard.com. Dot org. Dot org, excuse me. And you can go to uh, RonPaulStuff.com and you can get uh, bumper stickers, big giant vinyl bumper stickers for the back window of your car. Sure. All kinds of stuff. By the way, I wanted to say something. When I talk to my Democrat friends about Ron Paul, I always try to tell them that, you know, he's not really a Republican. He's a libertarian running as a Republican because of political expediency that he found that he didn't really want to run as a third party candidate. And he's been very successful in his district running as a Republican and and all of his, his constituents know he's a libertarian. They so love maybe they give him a few points if they know he's not really a Republican. 
Yes, exactly. And I always tell them how he's he's basically making the uh, the GOP establishment. He's he's driving them crazy because they want him out, but he's he's so popular they can't uh, get rid of him. Shane emails in the show. Uh, he says, I'm a regular podcast listener, which often leaves me a day or even a week behind programming. But I wanted to pose a question about a recent episode in regards to copyright law. I agree with the fact that many people abuse the copyright law as it currently exists. And I also am not particularly interested in government control of such issues. However, I do believe in intellectual property rights. And I was wondering what your ideas were for the free market regulation of these rights. For example, if a person is to write a book... How are they to prevent that book from being posted by someone else for free online or republished under their own name? And if there is a way to regulate this, who in a free market is in charge of enforcing it? Thanks for your thoughts, and you can feel free to address this on the air. So how in a free marketplace, absent of government uh, monopoly privilege, copyright or patents or whatever, how could an author uh, be protected? It's well, a great they, question. They used to have the old common law copyrights where you didn't use the government copyright office to copyright something. You basically copyrighted it, and then maybe you'd uh, send it uh, out in the mail to yourself. And if somebody did rip you off, you could prove it in court, and you, you could take them to court and, and get damages or, or get them to stop. Certainly one option. Uh, of course, that does, that does involve uh, government courts is what it sounds like you're talking about. Or it could be there. an arbitrator. It doesn't matter. It depends how small you want to get. Right away with the right. There certainly could be arbitration with a reputation ra- uh, rating system. We discussed that, I think, last night on the show briefly, the, uh, the concept of reputation ratings earlier this week. And there are now online uh, reputation rating sites that have taken the, the, the concept of like an eBay rating and blown it up and made it so you can leave all kinds of information about people and, and uh, comments and that sort of thing. And so I think that tying in some sort of a reputation rating system might be a good way to um, help prohibit that. But let's look at reality. And the, the reality is that today, even with all government's scary copyright laws and their threats of violence and this woman that was just uh, fined $220,000 for downloading a you know, 24 songs onto her computer, even with the draconian level of enforcement that we have in the current world of copyright law, look at the, the rampant piracy. It's rampant. You know, Harry Brown, uh, not Harry Brown, uh, a Harry Potter book comes out, and it's been pirated within days, if not days before its actual uh, supposed date of release. And these these are pirates that they're they're not interested in putting their name on the product. That doesn't happen very much in America, um, for whatever reason. It, maybe they just understand that you can't really build a brand on. Plagiarism. Well, because no. you wouldn't be able to sell it. You, to Not be effectively. To, to be able to sell something, you have to be people have to be able to get in contact with you. Right. In order to get in contact with you, the cops can find you. Well, you couldn't sell it through the normal channels. You could, if you wanted to, throw a couple of your books out on the sidewalk and you know, like sell like the guys right. do with the DVDs in New York You'd City. You have a hell of a time making a living doing that. It's hardly right. worth the trouble. Amazon is not going to pick up your book for sale if you aren't the original publisher. Uh, Barnes and Noble, the major book distributors, aren't going to play. I mean, the, the, the channels, right. the book Under distribution channels. the current channels. paradigm. Now, if you were to, you know, if you're talking about a free market paradigm where there is no uh, punishment for plagiarizing somebody's work, uh, you know, people could very well slap their name on your book and try to sell it. It's not very likely unless there was some store out there that was uh, specifically made a name for itself by selling plagiarized works, which, again, doesn't seem you very like likely big in the marketplace. Lots or something like that? Yeah, like the Big Lots for books. <laughs> well, why wouldn't Big Lots try to sell books? Uh, well, Big Lots, I'm sure, does sell books, uh, but they're not plagiarized. But I guess my point on this, Mark, is that the, the way the distribution system works for books in this country is that Barnes & Noble doesn't want to be seen as a company that's selling questionable material. They want to, be, uh, they want to have good business 
relationships with the publishers of America. And if a publisher finds out that Barnes & Noble has been selling uh, an inferior, plagiarized, pirated copy under somebody else's name or label on their shelves, they're going to be pissed. And they aren't going to give them any more. They're not going to do business with them in the future. And they're going to take their business to a store that is you know, upright and doing business on an honest basis. So I don't really believe that your paranoid claims are really, you know, they really hold much water in the world of the marketplace and reputation. Because reputation is important to businesses as well. Well, but you can, as a business, you can gain reputation for having the lowest price. You can gain reputation for having knockoff brands. I mean, knockoff.com or whatever it is out there might very well is make... Is there a knockoff.com? I, I would guarantee there is a knockoff.com. Um, you know, they might very well make a great living selling knockoff authors' books. You know, the new Terry Goodkind hardcover, which is due out next month, um, could come out and I could slap my name on it. Mark Edge, you know, the the final book in the, uh, the Sort of Truth series. Mm-hmm. And they would sell it at knockoff.com or they would just put their own name on it. I don't know, man. I don't know if uh, UPS or FedEx or the delivery services would be interested in uh, in doing business with a uh, a company like that that has bad reputation. It could affect theirs. Hour three's on the way. It's Free Talk Live. Our archives, website, and podcast will continue to stay free. But if you think other people deserve to hear this show, consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier for just three dollars a month at amp.freetalklive.com. Help free some minds. Visit amp.freetalklive.com. This is Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free. 800-259-9231, SACL CAI toll-free line. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com, where all the features are for free. And again, freetalklive.com. On the way, if we get a chance, we'll talk about poison gumballs. What? (laughs) But first, to strikethroot.com, and there's actually some dashes in there. Strike-the-root.com. Uh, from Robert Wicks, actually a friend of the show. Yeah, he works for the show. He does. Uh, libertarians are divided on the issue of immigration. On the one hand, there is the notion that anyone should be free to present themselves upon property to which they've been invited. And that notion is held by all the leading libertarian thinkers. It's a simple fact, however, that there is no purely private immigration. Frequently, immigrants to this country trespass on private property to enter, then utilize various public services or government services such as welfare, public schools, and free medical care once they've settled into an area. This use of government is a particular concern to many libertarians. Some say the United States government must stem the tide of illegal immigration before any meaningful rollback of taxes and welfare can take place. Now, while I do understand and to some degree sympathize with this argument, The commonly proposed state solutions to the immigration problems are fraught with problems of their own. And by the way, it's impossible to do what he suggested some people are saying should be done. Stop uh, illegal immigration. Right. If if what your plan of attack is is to, okay, let's focus our resources on stopping these illegal immigrants from getting over the border, and then we'll wipe out the welfare programs. You'll never get past point number one. Right. Well, uh, you know, it's kind of like putting every day you put out uh, a bowl of milk and a bowl of uh, cat food outside your uh, front door on your porch, and then you try to keep the cats away (laughs) all day. I mean, what kind of sense does that make? (laughs) I'll tell you what, genius. Take the milk and the cat food back inside, right. um, you know, get rid of it, stop putting it out on the, onto the porch, and then the cats will stop coming around. Exactly. And that's really what the problem is with immigration, is we've got a bunch of stray cats, we have a bunch of people that want to come across the border and take uh, advantage of our, you know, big welfare system, and they know they can, uh, a lot of them can have a baby here, and bam, you know, it's it's like hitting the lottery. Well, 
take away the lottery. There's no reason why we should be giving these people free stuff. There's no reason why we should be giving anybody free stuff that they didn't earn. Um, absolutely. Charities can absolutely handle the legitimate uh, welfare uh, you know, right. people out there the, that need welfare. The charity can determine, uh, determine and discern whether that cat is actually indeed a needy cat, or in the case of a person, whether that person actually is in need of the services instead of this government sort of scattershot welfare mentality where if you can just fill out the paperwork, you get the check. Uh, so well, charities you, are much more uh, able to do you that. You know, you wish it was it was that um, benign. You wish that the government was actually just throwing money out there. You know, they would confiscate our money and then give it all away to anybody who could fill out a form. That would even be preferable to what we have. In fact, what happens with the welfare system is the government takes our money and then gives away 30% of it in a scattershot format. Mm, they keep true. 70% of it to, you know, keep their buildings going, the power for their buildings, their middle class bureaucrats that are in there they got to pay those uh, people that administrate those bureaucrats oh, this entire system the, the whole welfare system is entirely broken and you know the, the charities can do it so much more efficiently absolutely 800-259-9231 continue talking about immigration go back to a story here but let's go to john in st pete john you're on free talk live hello john st petersburg going once John in St. Petersburg going twice. Uh, we'll put him on hold. Maybe uh, he had to go away from the phone. We'll come back to John. Anyway, back to Robert. He says, it's my firm conviction that whenever there exists a problem, which is both persistent and widespread, the hand of the state may be found, either actively causing the problem or preventing its speedy resolution. Yes. So when we see a problem, it is crucial to not only treat the symptoms, those things which are the most apparent, but also to fix the underlying problem. If I have intestinal pain and the diagnosis is stomach cancer... The solution is not morphine. It's important to try to actually get rid of the cancer. As Thoreau wrote, there are a thousand hacking at the branches of evil to one who is striking at the root. And I would add that there are many more than that who are wholly uninterested in horticulture and not and a, and not a significant and a not insignificant number liberally spreadalizing uh, spreading fertilizer. The most common problem I have seen ascribed to illegal immigration are cultural changes as immigrants arrive, higher crime rates among illegal immigrants, and welfare benefits to immigrants causing an increase in taxes among citizens. These things are all symptoms of government interference with free association among people and government interference with the free market. Through anti-discrimination laws which cover legitimately owned private property, a person who wishes to exclude a particular person or group of people is not allowed to do so. And this is simply a violation of the rights of the property owner. If, for example, the store, the owner of store A wishes to exclude all blacks or whites or Hispanics, he should be free to do so. By now, this is a black man that's writing this, that's by correct. the way. By the same token, the owner of store B should be free to welcome those same people with open arms. In this way, people will tend to go to those places in which they feel welcome. And, we'll and tend- I'm going to go to the place that uh, doesn't exclude people based on, the, based on race, because I just think that's gross. I agree. I would never patronize an establishment like that. And I would would actively talk out against an establishment like that. So everyone else knew it, too. He says, we'll tend to avoid those places in which they aren't accepted. So if a person wishes to, say, purchase attractive land, establish a community with certain cultural, religious values, and exclude those who don't fit in, perfect example of this happening in reality is Ave Maria, Florida, a Catholic town, a privately run, privately owned Catholic town. They don't want you there if you don't agree with their value system. And why would you want to be there? 
So you can create these communities and so that that person should be absolutely free to do so. And those who rent from him or purchase the land after being screened by him and agreed to the stipulations he's set forth should be bound by that agreement. And such arrangements don't interfere in any way with the right of those outside of that private property to set whatever rules they desire upon their own property. Private property is also the solution to the problem of crime. If the streets and roads are private, the various owners can choose to exclude whomever they wish from their property, just as I can exclude whomever I wish from my home. Few private property owners would intentionally invite criminals to take up residence upon their property. If I own the street, there's no obligation for me to allow strangers to congregate upon it. If a group of people own the street, there's no obligation for them to allow such activities either. And also, I don't know if he touches on this, but the war on drugs is also one of the issues, too. That's one of the reasons why, uh, again, there's there's a problem with crime in the immigrant community, mm-hmm. because they're dealing drugs, because there's money there, and that money's there because of the fact that the drugs are illegal, which we covered in uh, in detail last night. So, he says, let us consider some of the proposals for immigration reform. And we'll do that in a moment. Let's try again. John in St. Petersburg, listening, apparently, to uh, a rebroadcasted edition of the program on, uh, I believe, our Florida station in Tampa Bay, uh, WWPR. Hello, John. Can you hear me okay? Hey, we got you. Yeah, I listen to it every day here on 1490. I live in St. Peter. It comes out of the branch in Sarasota here. It's yes, nice sir. It's nice to... Uh, here. How many days a week are you on? Are you like four days a week Six. down here? Oh, down in Florida, I think they carry us weekdays. Uh, and, it, and, it all, and it depends because uh, they, they put us on during the daytime. They're running in, like an archive version of the show uh, no, during the day. It's, uh, it's, it's a nice show. I, I, the reason I'm calling uh, tonight, first time, uh, because you mentioned the name the other day of a, uh, of a man who wrote a book, and I'm not sure uh, of his name. I think you said Mark is there a Mark Stevens? Yes. yes, Mark Stevens. He wrote Adventures in Legal Land. And his, uh, right, his... okay. You know, I tried to order that from my bookstore here uh, last this year or last year, and I couldn't get it. And I, I, I wanted to know, um, is that some, have you ever heard of John Statmiller? I have heard of him. I believe he... Uh... Well, I'm just trying to find out, you know, if you could talk a little bit about that book tonight on the air, if, if it fits into what you're doing here in your format... So I can hear it tomorrow. Then, if you do talk about it, where we can order it or something like well, that. Well, John, I can like tell you that right now. I, John, do you have internet access? Uh, not really. Ooh. What What can I get from the internet? I mean, what is the book? What can you tell me? <laughs> you, can, you can get the book. Uh, it's ordered it's, from Mark Stevens himself. Right. It's an independently published book, so that would explain why your local bookstore doesn't know how on earth to uh, and, to get their hands on it. Does he live in North Carolina? No, he lives in Arizona. Arizona. And oh, Arizona. Go ahead and write this down and go to the library because they, they've got internet access there. Go to uh, go to adventuresinlegalland.com. Yeah. That's adventuresinlegalland.com. That's Mark's personal website, and you can order the book through that website. And it's a great book. I, yeah, it really I may is. not. I don't agree with Mark Stevens on his uh, political philosophies entirely, but. The book was an easy, fun read. It absolutely is. So um, go Impact to a friend's, of information. Go to a friend's house. Go to the office. Go to wherever your internet connection uh, is, and go there and order it. I think it's less than twenty bucks. It might even be fifteen bucks. I, I can't promise you on what the price is, but it's affordable. So thanks oh, for the call. Okay, we're glad well, you're. Thank you very much. We're glad you're enjoying the show. Eight hundred two five nine ninety two thirty one. So that's a station that actually plays the show during the day. It's very rare that we'll get a call from a listener who isn't actually a you radio really wanted, listener. You really want to know how to get that? Book? Who isn't listening live? Eight hundred two five. 99231 immigration enforcement what are the problems with it coming up this 
is Free Talk Live, and you can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 1-800-259-9231. Sickle CAI toll-free line. That's 800-259-9231. And you can join us on our website at freetalklive.com, where all the features are for free. Shrine of female listeners there. Over uh, dozens and dozens of ladies that have sent us their validated photos to prove they listen to the show. See what I mean? Go to shrine.freetalklive.com. That's shrine.freetalklive.com. And now you can save time and money on common legal matters created by top attorneys. LegalZoom.com helps you create reliable legal documents like your will or living trust in minutes. LegalZoom.com. Use code FTL to save 10%. That's code FTL, like Free Talk Live, to save 10% at LegalZoom.com. We just had a call come in from a station that plays our show on delayed broadcast basis during the daytime. But there are also a number of stations that are carrying this show on a delayed broadcast uh, basis during the week, more so during the week. A lot of our stations on Saturday night are live. In fact, I don't think anyone delays our Saturday show. But uh, the weekday show in some stations are, you know, it's delayed by an hour to a couple of hours. And so if you're one of our listeners to those stations, you're certainly welcome to call into the show. I just want to extend the invitation to you guys. We have our podcast listeners call in frequently. Sometimes uh, from uh, months ago. Right. So don't don't feel like you have to be listening live in order to participate in this show. If there's something that you want to talk about, if there's an issue you want to address, or you've got something that's just on your mind that you want to get off, the phone lines are there, and if you call during the right hours, you'll talk to us. So from 7 to 10 o'clock Eastern Time at night, make that call, 800-259-9231. You're certainly welcome to. All right, so back to uh, the story about immigration. Robert Wicks at Strike the Root is uh, talking, that's strike-the-root.com, is talking about immigration and how all of the problems that people ascribe to illegal immigrants are actually problems that government creates because of its interference with free association of uh, and and its interference with private property and so they're just symptoms all these issues you know the, the immigrants taking welfare well that's a problem with welfare let's put it in the hands of charities as you were saying mark and let charitable organizations decide who to help and who not to help so he goes on to say let's consider some of the proposals for immigration reform and there are certainly plenty of these on the table and most all of them are bad at the one extreme, we have those who wish to have the military secure the border. You know, they're saying, bring them, bring them home from over there and put them on the border. Right. And, you know, and, and then that's just <laughs> that's just another big government program that's going to run inefficiently. The, the coyotes are already paying off border guards who make twice what uh, a private in the military does. Mm-hmm. Are you telling me that these privates aren't going to take these payoffs to look the other way when they come through with a truckload of Im- illegal immigrants? Not only are they going to look the other way, but there are also some of them that are already, they already have some National Guardsmen down there, and they're already involved in actually running the, the immigrants across sure. the border. They don't pay those soldiers anything. They pay them less than minimum wage compared to how much work they get out of but it. But understand this, Mark, that, that somebody could make, an anti-immigrant person could make the argument, well, we just need to pay them more. And that doesn't work. It's not necessarily that they don't get paid a lot. It's just that, you know, corrupt, are you there telling, are corrupt sheriffs in America that are making Are you telling me that high-level bureaucrats don't take bribes? Right. Right. I they mean, do. the fact is, it doesn't matter what you pay them. People are still going to say, oh... $10,000? Tax-free? I mean, what cash? would you do with ten grand right now? Think about it for a second. If you got ten grand for looking the other way for mm-hmm. 15 or 20 minutes... While some people who just wanted to work to support their families came across the border? Yeah. I think I might be able to compromise my principles a little bit. So these people, they want to put the military down on the border. They want to evict the illegal immigrants from the country, which is just madness, and heavily penalize businesses that fail to verify employee work eligibility. 
On the other hand, we have those who would grant amnesty to all illegal immigrants and make the process for becoming a citizen of the United States easier. Either of these approaches will cause problems, given the current laws. Mm -hmm. Some critics of amnesty uh, plans claim that amnesty will bring about more illegal immigration, and on that point, they are correct. Oh, sure. If you you take all the the people that are in the country right now and, and, you know, suddenly make them legal, then everybody's going to want to get in the country for the next time it's, it's done. Those in favor of it often cite the impossibility of securing a very long border with Mexico, along with the impracticality of rounding up all of the current illegal immigrants that are already here. And these are also reasonable analyses. Many of those alarmed by the influx of illegal immigrants claim that simply rounding up a, sing- a significant portion of them will have a noticeable impact on the numbers who attempt to enter the country in the future. And this may well be true, but any genuine immigration crackdown will cause far more problems than it will solve. And indeed, that's what we've suggested on, on the air before, is that if you really want to keep immigrants out of America, if you really are serious about that, there's only one way to really be effective at it, and that is to make America a more tyrannical and despotic country and a more frightening place to live than the country they're coming from. Yeah. Turn it into North Korea. Yeah. There's also a perceived need for their services. They, they wouldn't be coming up here if they couldn't find jobs, but you have minimum wage laws, which they are able to circumvent because they're, they're not documented. Um, you've got the welfare state, and and you also in the last seven years have had this this real estate bubble, which caused a massive job growth in construction, which mm-hmm. are high paying jobs where they could send a lot of money home home to their families, and they don't have to speak English real good. Uh, that's right, nail nails to, exactly, hammer and, nails, and and do masonry work and everything. Well, that's over now, obviously, but uh, there was a huge influx during that period. They could still mow lawns and wash dishes and do all kinds of things, um, you know, without being able to have a really without having a great understanding of the English language. Within the apparatus of the state, there are many types of people, and far too many libertarians think the state is just a bunch of incompetent bureaucrats. While this is largely true, it's not entirely true. There are different sorts of people working government jobs, and I've met some people that are very competent at specific tasks. These are the technicians. They usually would be successful at private sector jobs. Sometimes a lack of people skills or simple inertia keeps them in government jobs. Others I've met are the ones that we most identify as government workers, the people who are basically taking up space and following the rules to the minimum. These are the inefficient types. There are also people within government who are truly incompetent, and their days are spent essentially avoiding being fired so they can hold on to their jobs long enough to draw a pension. I've encountered many of these sorts of people, and they make all of our lives miserable with their inability to perform meaningful work. The fact that the vast majority of government workers fall into these three categories causes many of us to forget what government is really all about. The state is an entity which engages in what I call entrepreneurial evil. Those of us who enjoy the fruits of freedom and the bounty brought forth by the market economy often praise people's abilities to spot opportunities and exploit them. If there's a need or want expressed by people, someone steps forth to provide it, benefiting both the entrepreneur and the consumer. There is an analogy to this in government. Dotted among the throng who work for governments at various levels are people with something akin to an entrepreneurial spirit. These captains of sin-dustry can be fairly unnoticeable until the conditions become ripe for some hitherto less useful skill or desire to be made more useful. For example, the anti-communist fervor of post-World War II America helped make war by executive fiat the norm rather than the aberration. The police action known as the Korean War would hardly have been possible in 1925. Entrepreneurs are opportunists. They see people in need of something and take risks to offer them goods and services for a profit. It's a win-win situation. The state also employs its opportunists. They wait for legal openings to expand their own power and influence, and consequently the power and influence of the state. 
It seems apparent to me that the legal and social climate which would allow for a serious illegal immigration crackdown would also be one which would allow for various other things, such as raids on businesses suspected of employing such immigrants. That's happening right now. A national ID system to effectively exclude illegal immigrants from employment and public services. They're trying to implement that. They're not quite being successful at it. Uh, and random traffic stops in areas suspected of being havens for illegal immigrants. Also happening right now today in this country. These areas need not be limited to those areas near the border with Mexico. There are many areas around the country, particularly those areas which require large amounts of unskilled labor, which would very likely be targeted. Now, they haven't gotten to that point yet. We do have the random checkpoints around the border areas. You know, 60 miles in from the border, there are these random Border Patrol checkpoints. But, yeah, we might be seeing these soon in the, you know, the middle of America. More on the way. This is Free Talk Live. Would you like to help others find Free Talk Live? You can help us advertise, market, and promote the show at amp.freetalklive.com. Consider becoming a Free Talk Live amplifier now for $3 a month and get some cool bonuses at amp.freetalklive.com. Free Talk Live, and you can bring up whatever's on your mind toll-free, 800-259-9231. That is the SACL CAI toll-free line, and it's Ian here with you. And Wade. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. Features for free on the site, unlike those other radio talk show hosts that want to charge you for accessing their websites. Ours is on the house. Freetalklive.com, the bulletin board system included with over a quarter of a million posts. Lots to talk about, serious issues and fun stuff. All there at bbs.freetalklive.com. That's bbs. .freetalklive.com. Still talking immigration. You're welcome to chime in on this, how you feel about the uh, the current situation in the country today. Uh, do you think the government can solve the problem? Because I don't think so. But I'd love to hear from you. They haven't shown any ability to do it so far. Nope. 800-259-9231. In fact, as uh, as Robert Wicks is pointing out at strike-the-root.com, uh, uh, it's government that created the problems in the first place. Government put out the bowl of milk. Government put out the welfare programs for people to come here and leech off of. So let's get rid of welfare. Because that's the problem there. Government prohibited drugs, which made it so that criminals and gangsters got into the business of distributing drugs. So if we would just re-legalize drugs, there would go that problem there. I mean, all of the problems that people ascribe to illegal immigrants can be solved by getting the government's uh, ending government intrusion in various different aspects of our lives. But, of course, government doesn't want to stop. (laughs) They're not going to stop their welfare program just because it's a good idea. It helps the government bureaucrats. The government bureaucrats have an incentive to fight for their lives to keep their welfare programs intact. Well, sure, but I think we have the, uh, we have just as much of a chance of, winding, of, of ending welfare as we do of stopping immigration. I'd say we have a higher chance of ending welfare as stopping immigration. It's not right. going to be possible. You can to stop, stop welfare. You cannot stop illegal immigration. You might be able to stem the flow quite a bit, but... Right. Uh, at what cost to our freedoms we're is really t- my question. We're going to talk about the checkpoints here in a moment uh, that, again, they are in existence. If you don't live near the northern or southern border, then you've never experienced this. And even though we live near Vermont and there is a checkpoint up in Vermont, I don't think we've gone north uh, far far north enough on that uh, that interstate in order to experience it. But there is one that's nearby. Some of them are permanent installations. Some of them are roving checkpoints that can be set up anywhere. So this stuff's going on. In the supposed land of the free, and how anyone could possibly look at this police state, Nazi-esque, show-us-your-papers mentality and think that this is something that belongs in a free country is just bewildering to me. But if you're one of those people, I'd love to hear from you. At 800-259-9231, can you defend immigration checkpoints? 
Anyway, Robert Wicks has a few more thoughts. He says a serious immigration crackdown would likely require nothing less than the intrusion of the federal government into every private transaction involving housing, employment, or licensing. Eventually, of course, as companies move jobs outside of the U.S. to less regulated areas, which is also happening now, mm-hmm. uh, farmers are moving, taking their farms and just moving them to Mexico. Yeah, just have to. In some cases, just have to move, move them a few miles. The weather's just as good there as it is in California, so. Get your jobs. I mean, get the get the work done there. It and all Mexicans cheaper. are legal. I mean, if you're paying the illegal immigrants next to nothing now. You can pay them less down in Mexico. Mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, he says so. Jobs are moving out of the U.S. to less regulated areas. The economy will sour, and this country will no longer appeal to immigrants. For those supporting a war on immigration, this would be a pyrrhic victory indeed. To return to my earlier comparison to cancer, the problems associated with immigration are but symptoms caused by the cancer known as the state. And apparently one of our listeners recently encountered some of these border checkpoints. Cato from Tennessee emails in. He says, guys, a few months ago I called in about an immigration checkpoint in, t- in the Tucson, Arizona airport. Two border guards were stationed immediately after the TSA checkpoint. Can you imagine this, Mark? Now, uh, the TSA checkpoint isn't enough. Now we're going to have a secondary border uh, citizenship check- checkpoint. So once For you domestic get- flights? Yeah, it that's not made be. clear. Not made clear. Uh, well, if it's if it's an international flight, that we um, you really, I mean, customs agents would be checking. It wouldn't be anything unusual. Yeah, well, he didn't say customs. It's border uh, border patrol. I guess that's the same bureaucracy, right? Anyway, Similar. he said the people going through the oh, here you go. The people going through the checkpoint were not on international flights and were leaving from a city inside the United States. So indeed, this was not an international situation. They're just checking people internally. Which is what the purpose of these uh, physical installations on the roadways are. They aren't on the border. They're inside the country. Mm. And you can expect to see more of this as this immigration crackdown fervor continues to spread across America. And as the government decides that it's appropriate to put up more of these installations with the purpose of allegedly catching illegal immigrants, but with the reality of making all of us late for work and inconveniencing everyone and uh, just giving more and more power... To the government to do these things and getting people used to checkpoints that is correct so yeah they're used people are totally used to the tsa checkpoints now so what's another checkpoint here's one you go through the tsa check check for the bombs and check you for everything else and then you can go to the border check border patrol checkpoint where they'll check your id and they'll check your citizenship and what else do we I mean, can they add another one okay yeah can, you can we have the trifecta yeah they'll mm-hmm. check you as you get go out to your car In Laredo, he says, uh, the people going through the checkpoint were not on international flights. They were asking everyone if they were U.S. citizens. On that day, I didn't have to answer that question as my flight was leaving from a different concourse, so I went through a different TSA checkpoint. But today, I did. In Laredo, Texas, where I have also had to pull off the interstate to go through a checkpoint well inside the United States, the scenario was the same. Laredo uh, Laredo is, of course, on the border with Mexico. However, Laredo is inside the United States, and the flights we were on were domestic destinations. Same as in Tucson, the Border Patrol had no reason to be there. In any case, you cleared TSA security and immediately had to walk past two border guards who were armed with pistols. They asked everyone if they were a citizen. I gathered my stuff and attempted to walk past them without saying anything. They stopped me, verbally, not physically, and said they were with the border guard, or ICE, or whatever stupid bureaucracy, and asked me if I was a United States citizen. 
I asked one of them if he has ever read the U.S. Constitution and the Bill of Rights, specifically the Fourth Amendment. Oh, I bet this didn't go well. <laughs> he said, yes, but this area was considered a functional blah, 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 read bureaucraties. I told him that I was a U.S. citizen, but I no longer lived in a free country, and walked away. He did sort of drop his head. I'd like to thank all the immigration warriors out there for further eroding my personal freedom. I resent being arbitrarily detained in my own country, even if it was only for two minutes. Of course, the courts will argue that this detainment is not arbitrary because everyone that went through security at the Laredo, Tex uh, Texas airport at the time had to answer the question. What they mean is the policy is not discriminatory. Once again, equality takes precedence over liberty. No one should be stopped at all, but the government needs justification to stop brown people, so the courts will say it's okay as long as everyone is equally tyrannized. You might say I could have just turned around and left, and that's a catch-22 because then my behavior would have been seen as suspicious, and the border guards would probably have cause to engage in a full-fledged search. In other words, here in the supposed land of the free, I was forced to do something against my will and beliefs by men with guns simply because of the place where I happened to be. It will only get worse, says Cato. Right now, they politely ask you in the airport if you're a citizen. How long before they demand to see your papers everywhere? We already know that uh, at, over the summer, Indianapolis had bus stops where TSA agents were at asking people questions. Hmm. So it's not even just in airports anymore. And he says that perhaps the most disturbing part of the whole incident is that I was one of the few people that seemed to be upset, and I was the only person who said anything in protest, as meek as it was. The great pol uh, political philosopher Alex Alexis de Tocqueville was right. America has become a country of fat sheep, of which the government is the shepherd. From Cato. Just disturbing stuff, man. Yeah. And, he's, and, and he is absolutely right. It will only get progressively worse. Now... I do question whether or not – I wonder what would have happened if he hadn't answered their question. Because in the world of the existing checkpoints, we had a guy from – I think it's CheckpointsUSA.com. We read his story where he was pulled over at the side of the road, one of these immigration checkpoints, citizenship checkpoints, and they asked him if he was a citizen. And he – just kept refusing to answer the question and kept batting it back with questions right back at the bureaucrats. Mm -hmm. You know, what, what's your name? You know, what's your badge number? Uh, I forget the, it was, am I being detained? That was one of the ones he used. It was really powerful. Am I being detained? And he wasn't. And eventually, as right, they he, kept saying, no, we right. just want you to tell us if you're a U.S. citizen or right. not. And he kept refusing and kept asking them that question over and over again. And they eventually got frustrated and they let him go on. So he was able to get through the checkpoint at this point without giving up that information. I have a feeling they'd be a little more strict in an airport. Just That's my impression, just the yeah. way the people act there. 800-259-9231, but look for this to expand. Does this make you feel good? This is Free Talk Live. This is Free Talk Live. You can take control of the airwaves toll-free at 800-259-9231. Only moments remain. Maybe enough time for your call. It's Ian here with you. And Wayne. And Mark. You can join us on our website at freetalklive.com. You like the show, you want to help support Free Talk Live, then AMP up. Head over to amp.freetalklive.com, and you'll find that AMP stands for Advertise, Market, and Promote. And the idea is you send in three bucks a month to Free Talk Live. We take it and turn it around into making more radio stations or uh, getting more radio stations on board with carrying the show, and thereby spreading the message of freedom and liberty as far and as wide and as fast as possible. You get some perks, too, like access to the AMP-only call-in line, AMP-only chat room and forum, and more. All of the details 
are there at amp.freetalklive.com. Hopefully Greg will call back from Santa Cruz. Really wanted to get to his call, but we'll go to Tom in California. Tom listening on KSCO in Santa Cruz. Hello there. Hey, how you doing? Hey, what's on your mind? Um, well, I heard you say that there are those who want to send all the illegals back to where they came from. There are those. And I'd like to ask you who, as a public figure, who is leading the charge against illegal immigration, has ever said that? I don't know. I don't pay attention to what those people say, really. I don't know who all the public figures Maybe against you should, illegal immigration. You know, do your homework and pay attention to find out what the. Why other should side I care what a bunch of hate mongers have to say? Dude. Why should I care what a bunch of hate mongers have to say, sir? So, hate mongers. Yeah. Who, people... has, who says anything about hate? All the people that hate illegal immigrants. <laughs> Name somebody who hates illegal immigrants. Oh, I don't know. Every uh, every conservative public, talk show host out there. Anybody a public figure. I, I would say it's more Rush of a fear mongering more than anything else. Yeah, but Rush Baloney, he doesn't hate anybody. It's nonsense. Right. He's never said he has, and no one else, no one except people who are trying to malign him has ever said he said that. No one's going to. No ridiculous. one's going to come out and say I hate illegal immigrants necessarily right, because that would ruin well, Why do you put that in people's mouths? Then that's outrageous. Well, they. they uh, well, I'm left. I'm personally left with um, when I hear people talking about immigration. I'm left with one of two things. Somebody hasn't thought the problem through immigration. They haven't thought it all the way through. They've been intellectually lazy, or they're a bigot. People have called well, no, no, this no. show. Fair enough. Fair enough. Okay. Maybe they haven't thought the problem through the way you think. But to label them bigots? That's just outrageous. People have called this show and said that Mexicans are carrying leprosy, that they eat dogs, that they, um, you know, that they're uh, very likely to murder you as you walk through the streets of Laredo. Right, and they said things these like these are people that are bigots. And they've said things like you can tell who's illegal just by looking at them. Things like that. That's that's the statement of a bigot. I'm asking somebody who is leading the movement to protect our borders, and you can't name anybody. Well, how are you going to name somebody when they hide behind this cloak of, well, they're illegal. Well, how can anybody support the idea of, 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 of giving these people amnesty when they've broken the law? Yeah, what are the, as though the Jews fact? didn't break the law, the law in Germany. There's, there's as though the American looking, Indians weren't breaking the law just by being alive. As though the Japanese Americans that tried to avoid being put in internment camps weren't breaking laws. Like, laws are sacrosanct. They aren't. Laws are used by people that wish to abuse power to get what they want. And in some cases in Washington, D.C., what they're doing is using the laws to create slave labor among these people instead of letting them compete in the marketplace like Americans can. We don't. I'm sorry, what? I'm sorry, Tom, what? Now do we, we get to selectively choose which laws we like and which laws we don't? Don't My you? My God, did you, you didn't hear anything I said. Do you no, think, he was talking do you think they that Anne, down. Do you think that Anne, the, the people that hit Anne Frank's family selectively chose which laws they should obey and which ones they shouldn't? Yes. Good people disobey bad laws, sir. Do you sir, disagree? That is, that is just... You know, that is just rhetorical nonsense. The, lie, the hell it is. Do you think all, we should put the... the hold on. Do you, it was now against the law for Japanese Americans not to go to the, go with the, uh, the, the agents to the internment camps. Do you think that's a good thing, too, sir? It happened in this States country. apologized for that and gave reparations to them. Oh, look, look that makes it okay? The like fact that. that they lost their houses, they lost their fortunes, it makes it okay that they spent time in prison? I didn't say it was okay, but it was a it's time of war. It's not okay now, sir. either. It was right. a time of war. Oh, a time of war. Right, There's always some excuse for compromising freedom, isn't there? <laughs> Is there an excuse for compromising freedom? Hey, the tax laws. 
Doesn't that compromise our freedom? Absolutely. It does, and you should disobey them, sir. <laughs> well, that's his okay, advice. Guys, do you uh, hey, hold I'll, on, Tom. Leave, do you I'll speed? Before you go, do you speed? Tom, do you speed? Like, I have, yeah. Do you really have red lights? I've been caught for it, and I paid the fine did for you ever, it. Did you ever drink underage? Um, when I was underage, yeah, I did. Yeah, so there you are. You're just and a lawless caught, scumbag, really, aren't you? And I was caught... And I paid a penalty for it. This, just because you paid the penalty um, to avoid you know, paying a bigger penalty doesn't make those laws right. Do you understand? Those laws are wrong. Right. Well, I, I don't know about speeding. I don't uh, know. Which, I mean, laws are made by people that we elect. That's the system, my friend. I didn't elect them. Look, that's I think I would, I would argue with you, actually, that, no, laws, no, no, that, that yes, laws are passed down through I, natural order. Hey. I didn't elect Barbara Boxer either, but I have to accept her as my senator. Why? This, look, guys, this system has lasted successfully for two, over 200 <laughs> it's days years. Number, my friend. It's days days are number, my friend. It's days are That is a fallacious argument. Look, republics... You say the land of the free. Get, name a year that this country was the land of the free. Look, I can tell you that this country, um, you know, that it has had different area, levels of freedom for different types of people throughout the ages. I would say it was probably... More free 100 years ago. I, I would say it was free or 100 years ago, certainly if you were white. Let but, me tell you something. Philosophically, I agree with you. I'm a libertarian, too. But I do believe that we have a right to have sovereign borders like every single country in the world does, including Mexico. Okay. Hold on a second. Now, Mr. Libertarian... Like you, you know how they treat the Guatemalans down there? You want uh, just, to talk about dictatorship or fascism? Look, look talk to the they Mexicans slaughter people the in Africa, too. I don't Mexico. care what they do in foreign right. countries, and I don't care what the Mexican government does. But who, but who props these governments up? I'm simply... Put things in perspective. We live on the earth today. We do not live in utopia. We, we are one nation among many nations, and we are still the shining beacon. Would you, you agree? I would, I would totally agree. I'm not here to shoot down America. I love this okay, country. Amen. Would you agree that if we got rid of the welfare system, that we would be attracting to this country um, the sort of immigrants that we would want to have and therefore wouldn't have the immigration problem that we have today? I agree with you 100% on that. As a matter of fact, it's the welfare that has partly drawn these people Abs here. Partly, because more than partly. If they were responsible for themselves, and we said, I'm sorry, you pay for your own medication or your mm -hmm. own medical treatment, mm -hmm. or you go back home. So, we don't have to do that. So, Tom, I should not have to be forced to pay for anybody's medical care. Absolutely true. Nor should anybody. I be forced to pay for some crazy border enforcement scheme that's not going to work. You do understand that you can't have success at that, right? You're just going to pour money down a hole? You do get that, right? No. How is it that, no, let me have your no, vision. Let's no, say you're in no, charge, Tom. Tom, I'm going to anoint work. you in charge of the border. What's your plan for stopping immigration? Go ahead. We <laughs> walls work. We can build a wall from the Pacific Ocean all the way to the Gulf of Mexico. How far down it in the, in the earth done, is it going to go? And it would be effective. How far I down will it go? I don't buy into this go? notion that it can't be done. It's nonsense. Oh, Tom, you can build a wall. Absolutely, will, Tom. You can build a wall. But with your wall, you can tunnel under that wall. I can pay off a, a, a border guard to get past your wall. I mean, they're paying off border guards now to drive truckloads of illegal immigrants. Through. How are you going to stop that, Tom? Uh, yeah, but you know what? All they have to do is catch one of them doing it sentence the guy to heavy uh, heavy uh, fines. Oh, you mean and, like they do a, with the drug dealers? Prison, and suddenly you won't have that problem. <laughs> right. The same way we got rid of drugs. You'll just sentence the people with drugs heavily and they'll and drugs will go away. Yeah, right? <laughs> Come no, on. You're, no. you're a libertarian. You know that pro prohibition doesn't work. And prohibiting uh, people from that, that earning a living work. for their family That's isn't going to work either. That's true. But we... Look it. We... 
you're, when you talk about the drug problem, you're talking about personal liberty as Americans, okay? When we talk about illegal immigration, we're talking about whether or not people from another country have the same rights as I do. I'm saying when they come here illegally, they don't. I'm telling we you that Thomas right. Jefferson said that a man was born with inalienable rights, and among them being life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And the fact that you're an American citizen doesn't make you better than a Mexican. That's the way that goes. And we don't have an immigration problem. We have a welfare problem. We have a government problem. No, no, no. no. No, it, Absolutely. no, being American and being a Mexican is not the point. Being an American citizen is better than being a Mexican citizen. That's I don't want point. either. I don't want to be either, sir. How do you feel about that? Hey, look at. Show me one that's better, my friend. In today's I don't want life. any citizenship. I don't want protection from any government. I don't want that deal. The deal with citizenship is you owe allegiance to the government that supposedly has a duty to protect you. Unfortunately, so what happens the when you're attacked by a foreign power? Uh, I'll uh, leave that to the marketplace to decide. I'm, I'll, I'll let the, uh, the militias and the people that actually care about defending freedom defend me in that particular case, and I'll step, step forward if necessary. Uh, the U.S. government military isn't actually keeping you safe, sir. It's keeping the government safe. That's all. Not you. Thanks for the call. 800-259-9231. Uh, you know, it's just... Yeah, I was winning him over, and you jumped in with your... His original point, you no are winning government. him over. He hates... Uh, he, he loves the idea of locking down the border. He wasn't even coming close to getting away from that position. Well, you Mark. know what, Ian? I've noticed that people out west in California and all the border states are really particularly passionate about this issue. And I, I think that you have to look at the cause behind the cause behind the cause to really understand the problem. And, and they're looking at it the way it's framed in the media. Right, and his original point that just because we couldn't name the name of whoever's in charge of the crazy anti-illegal immigrant uh, organizations out there doesn't mean anything. We know what all their arguments are, and they're mindless. They're nonsense, and they're doomed to failure. You want the government to stop immigration? All you're going to do is lose your liberty. We'll see you tomorrow. DVD, books, music, instruments, periodicals, computers, software, electronics, photo, cell phone, office product, home and garden, bed and bath, furniture, kitchen, pet supply, automotive, hardware, apparel, shoes, jewelry, grocery, healthcare, sports and outdoors, toys, games, used and more. It's a department store at your fingertips. Amazon.freetalklive.com. Get all your shopping done, a great deal, delivery to your door, and a percentage of your purchase will go to Free Talk Live when you enter Amazon through Amazon.freetalklive.com. 